Hey guys, Michael here. I just wanted to start this episode by saying, uh, I guess apology would be the better way to put it. Uh, we had some technical difficulties while recording this episode. Um, I'm using a very cheap microphone on myself in this episode. I wanted to give our, just, our guest, Jay Gilkay, the nicer microphone. Um, I did some audio cleanup to make it work. It's a very cheap microphone, but in a pinch, it worked for me. Um, we did have... Uh, there's some, I tried to cut out as much of it as I can. There's some mic noise throughout the episode. I didn't think I was really ever touching the mic, but anytime I guess my hand would come in contact with the cord or the microphone itself, uh, it would create some mic noise. Uh, I tried to remove as much of it as I can, but some of it, if it was happening while speaking, I couldn't get rid of it. Uh, we also had an issue. <laughs> it seemed to have a lot of issues on this episode where while recording, if... Um, uh, every so often, the program I'm recording through stopped. So there's only one time where I couldn't recover the conversation, where uh, I didn't catch it fast enough and Jay had been talking for a little bit. So I added the sound of television static, quick little to give you an idea that there's been a cut in time. So I apologize for that. Other time, I was, I was able to fix it every other time. Um, I want to thank Jay again for coming on and talking about... Uh, this this very interesting transgressive film that is Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, we mentioned on the episode that it's a film that is not for everyone. This film is is hard for some people to watch, and I understand that. Um, it's, so, um, out of respect for our audience, I just want to give you guys all a warning that uh, I, while I do not play very many if any clips from the actual movie i play the trailer uh maybe a little bit of the music um i just want to warn you guys that we're going to be touching or we're going to be talking about some very sensitive subjects because we talk about events that happened in the film i said i do you all a favor by not playing a lot of audio from any of those scenes but we do discuss them so I just wanted to warn you guys that in case that just us going into detail bothers you, that it is there. Um, it also seems very bittersweet, unrelated to movies, that um, so the episode's about to go up today and yesterday, which was Friday, August 1st, um, the wrestling, the professional wrestling world got word that professional wrestler and former NWA world heavyweight champion Harley Race had passed away. The irony that this happens the Thursday or sorry the um yeah the Thursday before I have Jay Gilkay on the podcast who specializes in classic professional wrestling is kind of amusing to say the least. Um so before we go into our I think great conversation of Jay Gilkay about Cannibal Holocaust, and I do personally believe this is one of our uh, more interesting conversations. I would have never have guessed we'd get two hours out of Cannibal Holocaust, and that's not including the 40 minutes I didn't record beforehand, uh, just talking about movies in general. Before we get to that, I want to play a little clip of Harley of a, pr- a promo from Harley Race. I think he's one of the most underrated talkers in the business. And, yeah, he, he's, in my personal opinion, one of the greatest of all times. And uh, he's going to be missed. So, it's not movie-related, but 
I'd be hard pressed if I didn't mention it. So um, we're gonna go to a promo from Harley Race, then to our into our cold open, and then into the show proper. So thanks for listening, guys. What you do in your life, you do with self determination. I don't have all that great amateur background that ninety percent the wrestlers today have. They told me, not only when I had the accident, that I wouldn't wrestle again. Every promoter in America throughout the world told me that I was not championship caliber because of that background. Well, I guess throughout the years that I proved to everyone in wrestling, whether they like me or dislike me, that I am made of championship caliber. Right here's a proof of it, two times. Two times, Gordon. There isn't probably three other men in the history of wrestling that can sit here and say that they helped this two times. There's only probably 10 alive today that can ever say they held it one time. Well, here's living proof, not only in a belt, in myself and when I walk in that ring. I do what I've got to do to win at all costs. It may not be what you like, but it's a winner for me. Thank you very much. Harley Race, NWA World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion. I just think that there's a way you can do things that yeah. I don't... Um, yeah, I just... when. You got to make the spectacle. If you don't have the spectacle, then you don't have, you're not going to get the draw. And sometimes you need the spectacle at the front end, and then you can eliminate the spectacle, or you can seize up on the spectacle. Mm-hmm. So then that way, you know, if you want to show a great movie, like you said, if you wanted to start a midnight movie circuit, and you show Return of the Living Dead, and you bring, bring in Linnea, Linnea Quigley, and she signs autographs, she does all that stuff. You know, and you bring in another, do another movie, and another person comes in, and down, so forth down the road. After a while, people will just appreciate the movies you're bringing in, mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily have to have a hook for every single yeah. one. Or, and I think that that's you can lure them with one thing and then kind of change it up a little bit. And my general conceit, like a uh, thing that frustrates me about most, whether it be film critics or film people involved in the cinema world, um, is that. I don't mind people having pretentious taste because I know I've got pretentious taste in myself, but I've often been able to separate, okay, it may not be a good movie, but what's going on in it? I always, I feel like I have a, I have a habit where I can find the pretension in something that doesn't deserve it. Sure. Uh, Like even with Cannibal Holocaust, but I feel like there's so many people out there and and you get it a lot too, especially with mainstream movies where like, oh, it's like you see mainstream being thrown around as an insult. It's like, oh, it's so mainstream. It's like, why is that necessarily a bad right. thing? Right. Um, but there's, I feel like there's so many people who are afraid, uh, who are afraid to take take a chance with schlock. They're afraid to take right. a chance with something that's too big budget. And a lot of that stuff is crowd pleasers. Absolutely. Like you put a movie that's terrible in front of people and with an audience, they'll enjoy it right like i love uhf uhf is not really a good movie right but it's so ridiculous and off the wall that it's fun right and i think too there's a lot of relying on for us at least i feel for me that i think there's a lot of relying on memory i think and when a lot of these movies get programmed now Mm -hmm. they're banking on the fact that 
it's something that like uh, like a, a feel good you know it's a it's a warm cookie it's something yeah. that you feel good and that you know and eventually I think that might dry up a little bit because yeah. what unless you start rebringing things in it's kind of like um the big one too I remember getting irritated with was how often they would bring reservoir dogs back to the city yeah. which seemed like just like a cheap cash grab because yeah. there's always somebody that's going to want to come and see it and I get it and that's yeah. fine there's always a new generation for that stuff even look at um like purple rain. Mm-hmm. after prince's death there's only so many times you can kind of bring it back and then it, it be, i mean it's always exploitive don't get I mean, yeah it is 100 percent. it's the film business right but you can always a, exploit something exa- so but at a point it's going to be like the oversaturation of exploitation of this one specific thing and then it kind of it's like you know for me i there's a band i really like and maybe about 10 years ago they came to town and they instead of having an opening band they did two full sets and played, you know, 12 songs on one set, 12 songs or 15 songs on the the second set. And I looked at my friend and said, I never have to see them again because yeah. they, they, they did, did everything. everything. Like yeah. if I never saw them again, I would be perfectly fine with it. Um, so then, and to me, I'm like, I thought that was, it was a neat move, but it was also kind of too much. Yeah. It was like gratuitous and it was just too much. And I was yeah. like, well, and then like, and they, they played like Purple Rain a couple times during that yeah. period. And I think one theater showed Graffiti Bridge. Right. And I was like, well, that's, in, that's an interesting choice. Totally. And it's probably not going to do as well. And it didn't. And right. it's like, and that's what people were afraid to make And then choices. they want to be like the dog with the nose and the pile of poop. See, see, we told you if we brought in Graffiti Bridge, nobody would show up for it. But if you market it as here's a Prince double feature, Prince triple feature, yeah. what have you. I mean, even find some way there's got to be uh, some other f- Prince something you could do if you played videos between the movies or something. Yeah. Just made it an event. Like, yeah. do and it. Like you were saying before, with promoting professional wrestling, that's what you have to do there. Like, if you just put up a poster for Mondo Lucha with no context whatsoever, you'll probably get some people who like wrestling out there. Right. But you need to find a new way to to market it and get new people in. Well, yes. And I feel like, too, what, one thing that happens with a lot of film programming is that pe- it's kind of the same thing that a lot of wrestling shows do. They're like, remember this person that used to be big? Here they are. And then we got everything else as well. Let's put stone cold steve austin the biggest thing sure, in the poster right. and then here's our local talent specter and and they're they're making such a sometimes i feel like you can make too big of a deal out of the wrong thing it's like what what some if someone wants to show graffiti bridge, bridge yeah sh- show graffiti bridge and bring something else to bring people in as well right but don't make less of what else is on the card or right. what else they're showing i'm a big believer in putting over the pro the actual like the promotion over the product mm-hmm um, so when it comes to our stuff, if you ever look and notice, it's like everything's branded Mondo Lucha. Mm-hmm. And when people talk about it, there are people that like the audience, there are people that they like. Yeah. But nobody says, hey, we're going to see the Russian. Hey, and we're going to see Red Goldstein. People who <laughs> are going to Mondo Lucha. Likewise, I would like to think, at least in my head from talking and being around children with my teaching job, um, they don't say we're going to see John Cena. They say we're going to the WWE. No yeah. way, shape, or form saying we're as big as them. Just kind of using it as like it's the product that they put over. Yeah. So then my thought is always, okay, well, if you're a theater and you start showing awesome, uh, you know, like midnight movies or mm-hmm. showing like kind of weird stuff, eventually it just becomes something that you look for. Yeah. I remember when in the mid-90s, when independent film was blowing up and all the Noah Baumbach stuff was coming out and yeah. it was like kicking and screaming and then... Um, Squid I, the Whale was um, the next story. Yeah, I did, like yeah there was a night 
at the at Downer, I remember it was Party Girl was playing in one theater and Kicking and Screaming was in the other. It was like a Parker Posey double feature, <laughs> mid nineteen nineties like fantastic. Like oh my god, this is independent cinema at its finest. All of the Parker Posey <laughs> movies are playing in one place. Um, but at that point, you looked. I didn't look at Marcus or I didn't look at what the movie theaters were for the mainstream movies. Yeah. I was totally like, what's playing at the Downer? And I took chances on movies that I never would have taken a chance on at that point because I was going because it was playing at a specific venue. Yeah. So likewise, if you start playing a lot of, if you're taking some chances and you can build up kind of a scene, mm-hmm. people will come regardless. Not a lot of, you put The Beyond, Fulci's The Beyond is playing here. And people be like, I don't know what the hell that is. But if you can find a way to hook them in with something and see it. Like I was like, play first start off with a popular movie. If you're going to start, if I were to program it, it's start with a popular movie. Pick something that everybody knows. And it would hurt, right? But you're like, let's do Nightmare on Elm Street, the original one, whatever. Okay, because yeah. you know you're going to get people, they come in. Before the movie starts, you show the trailer for the movie that's coming the next week. Mm-hmm. And if you show that trailer and that trailer's Cannibal Holocaust or Cannibal Ferox or it's mm-hmm. The Beyond or something like that, even though you have a lot of like not totally into like not scene film people or genre mm-hmm. film people, someone's going to see that or a percentage of that crowd's going to see it and go, oh, my God, we need to come back for that movie. Yeah. And that's and then that's how you jump off or, you know, or progress, you know, make it progressive. One, the first film might be something very popular. No Living Dead. Next film. Uh, or, or say Friday 13th or not Friday 13th I'm sorry let's say Nightmare on Elm Street next film do Return of the Living Dead it's a little bit more obscure but like still kind of out there kind of like a the middle it's in there area. a little bit it's like people that know it um, you know you do that and then maybe you do like Monster Squad or there's something you just start like you try to make that program and chip away at it so that's my thought always on it and it's like and that's how you start drawing an audience and let them know what's coming you can't like you said you can't just say here's a wrestling show come yeah. on out yeah. Even though that's what our goal is, to just say, here's a wrestling show. But you've built it up. It's like, I've got a good friend of mine uh, who lives in Omaha. His, his, his name is, well, we all just call him Flounder. But he he's a religious to the, the Alamo Draft House out yeah. there. And just by, uh, when he first started going there, like, he knew a couple of the movements. And he just kept going. And they're showing trailers for the other things. And now he's a regular to the point where they all know him by name. He goes to see pretty much anything that's showing there, no matter what. Because he knows that, well... The programmers here are smart. If they're showing it, it's something that I feel like I need to see. And I feel like that's what it all comes down to. You need to not only make the films the star, but then make your theater a brand. Right. As we were saying. And I don't know, I guess that's that's kind of always been the thing that I I hope to get out of this podcast. Not necessarily that we're a brand, but I'm hoping that people maybe not have heard of every movie that we're talking about. They'll listen to it. And be like, you know what? I've not seen Joe Dante's matinee. Right. Let's go rent it now, or let's go see it. And like, I even did that for my uh, my bachelor party. Uh, you made uh, them watch matinee? No. Oh, I made I them watch two different movies though. Worst bachelor I, party ever. I rented out a theater. Yeah. Oh, that that's cool. I I rented out a theater and I invited a bunch of people. And me and my wife, we had a joint bachelor and bachelorette party because nice. we don't not really much a partiers. So sure. it's like we both chose a movie, and she wanted to show Evil Dead too. And I wanted to show Phantom of the Paradise. And I was like, most people is like, well, if we do a double feature, not everyone's going to stay all the way through the end. Right. If we show, uh, it's like, if we show Evil Dead 2 first, 
most people not knowing a phantom of the paradise is will leave right so it's like we put evil dead 2 on second absolutely people knowing that hey i like evil dead 2 but i gotta sit through this other movie right. first show phantom of the paradise first because the one that most people wouldn't probably give the chance for and it killed oh i bet and i was like and i was like <laughs> i was thinking to myself it's like not you know sure i programmed a double feature once and i know there's more to it than no, that but, but that's I was the like, way you have to do it it's like put the well-known property right. on second right Put the one that people may not give a chance to on first but it's a proven commodity too yeah which i think is also like you and i sitting here off the top of our heads if someone said you have 30 seconds name each of you name 15 movies you can't repeat the same one uh i'm not asking to do this because i'll flub it up now that i'm saying it but like if someone said you each of you has to name go back and forth name 15 movies that you think would hook a crowd that's not genre savvy we could easily come up with 30 movies, I think. I think so. And to the point of, okay, so if you and I could come up with 30 movies in 30 seconds that we think non-genre people, if they were exposed to it, would love it, why would it be so hard to work in pro? Because we could probably, if we sat down and were given hours, we could come up with... A month's worth of programming. A, 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 forever, right? <laughs> exactly. And just kind of be like, well, now we have all... like We could program a bunch of things... Yeah, and it's just a matter of getting the eyes on it. So, yeah. and that was Phantom of the Paradise. I took my wife to see it this last winter when it was in town, and, and she and you've seen and, it before. That oh, before, it's right? like my favorite movie. Mine too. I have the the, the thing I showed you. I have the picture. I have the novelization of uh, it for Christmas my, one year. My wife actually got me the the soundtrack on vinyl. It came on hot pink yeah, vinyl, right? Which is yeah, perfect. Oh, it's very cool. That's yeah, like my favorite movie. Yeah. Have, have you guys done that one yet? On the no. Well, uh, I haven't checked to see whether or not my co. I'm sure I'm gonna just go on a whim and say my co-host hasn't I've seen, seen it. Uh, we have not, but now I feel like we should because uh, no, nothing brought me more joy than being able to show Phantom of the Paradise to a crowd of unsuspecting. Oh, people. I love it. Especially too, because like I, all I told him is like it's 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 Phantom of the Opera meets Faust, directed by Brian De Palma. Just trust right. me. <laughs> right, just stick with. It's like it. if you aren't hooked after the very first musical number. You're, you're nothing's gonna get you yeah because that first song is just perfect and then it just keeps getting better from there we'll remember you forever Eddie. through the sacrifice you made we can't believe the price you paid for fully invested in RuPaul's Drag Race and all those great TV shows. Um, and I enjoy them too, but... House Hunters is my... <laughs> she does. She said to me, what do we see? And I'm like, Phantom of the Paradise. She goes, is this one of your weird movies? I'm like, well, it's De Palma. And she's like, I don't know what that means. Just tell me, <laughs> can you just say, like, like what is it about? I'm like, it's Phantom of the Parrot or Phantom of the Opera, pretty much, with, like, rock and roll. And she's like, okay. I'm like, Paul Williams cool rainbow connection can we get and she's like oh okay so and she loved it like absolutely loved it it's like that's it's a great it's a great gateway movie yeah for sure 
uh, the movie we're about to talk about yes. is not. All right. <laughs> Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Viers, and with me today is a very special guest. He is one of the promoters of the wildly successful wrestling promotion Mondo Lucha, as well as the host of the podcast Cigars and Conversations. My guest today is the one and only... Jay Gilkay. Hello. <laughs> Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people say Key, but it's K. Like Gilkey, but okay. it's Gilkay. Yeah. Okay. It rhymes, Jay Gilkay. Well, I've listened to enough of your podcast, so I feel like I was hoping I could say your name. And I always think I always say it weird anyways. So. so I meant to ask you, is the official title Cigars and Conversations, or is it Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire? With Derek St. Holmes Okay, Esquire, so I need to make fine. sure I give Derek St. Holmes yes. Esquire uh, a little bit of love. Because I will hear about it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> So. He's probably listening right now, even though it's not available yet. Well, he will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> know what? I'll say, hey, I did this podcast. And he'll be like, I don't care. That's pretty much what, what he'll tell me. Well, it's so. funny. Real quick, I will say about your own podcast is like, because Kyle's the first one that told me about sure, it. Sure. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm he didn't tell me anything much about it. He's like, oh, I'm recording a wrestling podcast with with, uh, with Derek and Jay. And I had worked with you once. Yep. Um, shooting one of your, I think it was... Um, uh, Mexican Fiesta yes, shows. Yes. I don't think we had actually ever talked that day at all, right, but I had right. worked with you and I had seen, since I was going to wrestling shows since I was a kid here in Milwaukee, I've seen Derek wrestle. One of my earliest matches I remember was Derek versus uh, um, Matt Classic. Yeah, right. And uh, that show was great because uh, Colt played pulled double duty. That's that awesome. Show. Right. And that was the opening match. And so that name has already stuck with me. Sure. But like, uh, I was like, well, what can I listen to the show? And he sent me like the link to Astro Radio Z, uh -huh. I think it was. And I was like, oh, I have to listen to it on the website. He's like, yeah. So like, I uh, I would listen to it in the car. I had to I had to keep tapping my phone so my phone wouldn't. Sure, lock. sure. And then well, uh, since I couldn't save my place, I was taking screenshots of like what my of my time marker. <laughs> You've done more work on that than I do. And then so. eventually went on iTunes and became yeah. a lot easier and then um i find it fascinating because I, I the history of professional wrestling i think is it's very similar to the history of film where it's there's lots totally. of there's lots of skeeziness and there's lots of weirdness and there's also a lot of great stuff that happened uh and you guys talk about it with such affection which i appreciate um but then i also love that you guys will just go on uh tangents about movies for a while so it's sure. like oh i get two of my favorite things in one yeah show. it's um but that's always been the passion for me i mm -hmm. guess is both i've always loved movie mm -hmm. uh uh and i've always loved wrestling so and trying to find that way like every time every time we do a show it's it's based off of a movie like we do and like not in the like there's not going to be a boat floating away in sloth saying he loves the goonies at the end but there's going to be there's going to be some kind of moment or there's something to a show for us that we're like this is we're very specific about like drawing from a movie or an emotion from a movie um likewise this year's show conversely this year's show is uh the first half is our empire strikes back which leads into our return of the jedi <laughs> so we've already kind of i just like how high concept that. it is yeah well and wrestling to me is also um and then we'll talk about cannibals it's uh also i think wrestling shows in general are like anthology film i've always mm -hmm. tracked it that way where you need to have the different i mean you can't everything can't be the same yeah uh 
you know, sure you can do an anthology of ghost stories, but it's not all the same boo ghost in the closet popping out and scaring a family. You have to vary it and come up with different ways to tell, the, you know, a classic no, tale. Exactly. And wrestling's the same thing. You're going to have your comedy match, your hard-hitting match, your hardcore match, your technical match. Um, or you can try to just tell a really good story. Yeah, and hope that you don't have to like specifically have different match branding. No, and I, I've got friends who like wrestling. And they ask me what kind of wrestling I like, and I just say wrestling because there will be yeah. days where those comedy. I really enjoy those comedy matches. There's days where I just want nothing but Terry Funk brawling, and there's other days right. where I just want lots of whole. Like, and I think on the WWE Network they had a match between um, Ray Gunkel and uh, Nice, yeah, uh, Luthez. And it's like, wow, that was a headlock for five minutes, and I'm enthralled. Oh, just why? Right, because it's something different. Yeah, and it's the same thing with movies. It's like I'm usually marketed as the horror movie guy, but right. there's so much that I that I like. In the last couple of days, you know, I, I watched Cannibal Holocaust. Vinegar sent me Jeez. two vintage triple X films, and I watched those. Nice. I just went to go see the new Lion King. Sure, it's you're like, all over the place. I, and that's what keeps me interested. If I watch I one thing for too long, I lose interest. Right. And I do have to say. Uh, the, the uh, one thing because I'm, I'm a little behind on cigars and conversations but in one episode you had uh, essentially thrown the uninvited under the bus and i, and I had just gotten <laughs> okay. it as a sorry as, no as as a review copy like a george kennedy mark yes. is that it no okay, i'm not but i was like i just got his review as, as a review copy and i was like oh james was just talking about this movie and i was watching i was like yep it's it's a terrible it's, cat yeah, on a boat movie yeah yeah no, I, know. I just genuinely don't like movies set on boats i really um i laugh that one of the most uh, like popped for things on our podcast has been when I was talking about the baby. There wasn't enough room in Toyland to escape the terror that rocked Baby's cradle. I notice you call him Baby, and the case history doesn't show any other name. What is his real name? Just Baby. To Baby, life was not a giant playpen. It was a living hell. He wasn't allowed to walk, he wasn't allowed to talk, but he was capable of it. Baby is a full-grown man trapped by three women with no way out. Damn you. talking about that circus mm-hmm they wanted to put him in a sideshow we should have said yes you're calling your brother a freak oh mama i just thought it'd be better that way with david manzi be like you're doll the baby i love that movie i'm like yeah well you know it's uh because derek was derek came to me we were out we were <laughs> this this is gonna sound like hollywood shishi we were outside of a restaurant about to be the extras filming for like food network on some show and he just pulls me aside and goes, hey, have you ever seen the movie The Baby? And I'm like, oh, have I seen the movie The Baby? Of course I've seen the movie The Baby. And then when he's like, I know, I know, explained it to him. So, but then when I brought that up on the podcast, it's like, wait, we're talking about wrestling. <laughs> like, I, I get, that's cool that everyone's really excited. I'm like, I didn't know so many people knew what The Baby was. So, can I say too, before we get into this yeah, one, about this, about Cannibal Holocaust. I think, I mean, we know it's a polarizing movie. Yeah. For, it's 100%. I kind of feel like, I mean, I'm passionate about movies. You're passionate yeah, about movies. Yeah, yeah. And we, I guess we we understand, and I don't mean to speak for you when I say this, but I think we all understand how controversial or just like polarizing this film can actually be. 
So like when I speak about it, because I think that there are lots of layers to the onion that need to be peeled back on this one. um, There's a lot to talk about. There really, really is. And um, I guess I speak about it with gusto. And I Mm -hmm. don't want it to be misconstrued as me. I feel like I'm intelligent enough to separate a lot of the things. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, man, I love blood and guts, which is perfectly fine. And you can do that. And this movie has a very special place in my heart. And my film exploit, like watching exploitation movies kind of parallels the story of like cannibal movies. I always feel. Yeah. So like, I just, in talking about this, if I get overzealous, it's just because I'm real. I think it's a movie that's very important, even though it is so yeah, controversial. It's, it's, I, I think we've, we've, I know I've definitely talked about this on the show before. You, something doesn't have to necessarily be um, appropriate or something you like to be uh, important or even uh, necessarily well done. There's, per, right. you know, there's personally things that I have a hard time with in movies, and we talked about that on our High Plains Drifter yeah. episode and whatnot, but. I try, I try my best to separate it from the movie the best I can. Sometimes right. it's not always the easiest. But yes, with a movie, like I will say, I had thought forever that I had seen this film. Oh, sure. Um, but there's so many cannibal movies out there. Right. That, and I know I've seen bits and pieces of this movie. I realized until this viewer is like, oh, I had not actually seen this movie from beginning to end. Right. Which um, I find interesting. I do have a little uh, thing to talk about that throughout the movie. Sure, sure. The discussion yeah. as well. So in case you, none of you guys were paying attention, <laughs> on today's episode we'll be discussing – Reguero Diodato's controversial classic, and I say I mean classic, I Cannibal agree. Holocaust. I don't know if it's Reguero or Ruggiero. I would say Ruggiero. I've okay, always I'm said that. Let's go for Ruggiero. That sounds a little. Just classic. sounds cooler. Yeah, Ruggiero Diodato. <laughs> um, Cannibal Holocaust is technically two movies in one. Half of the story is about a documentary crew led by documentarian Alan Yates as he takes his team into the jungle to film indigenous people. The area they're going into, known as the Green Inferno, hasn't ever been seen by the civilized world, uh, and Yates is set to uncover its secrets. However, they go missing and are never seen again. Q anthropology professor Harold Monroe, who is sent into the Green Inferno with a simple task, find Yates and recover the footage. While searching for the team, Monroe and his guide find that the local tribes are very hesitant of people and wonder if this hostility could be because of the documentary crew. Tensions run high as Monroe's team discovers that Yates and his team might have run into one of the two warring cannibalistic tribes and knows that to discover what happened, he must press further into the Green Inferno. Cannibal Holocaust was banned in 50 countries for its extreme, realistic-looking violence, hard-to-watch two pages <laughs> hard to watch <laughs> sexual acts and it's extremely real animal violence the film gained even more notoriety after the film was seized and confiscated in milan while director diodato was arrested and charged of obscenity on top of that diodato was scheduled to defend his film in court claiming he had to, he had made a snuff film to which diodato had to prove uh his team was not only alive but all the human violence was completely staged the film for many young horror fans, was a rite of passage. It's extremely grotesque and hard to watch. Yet there's more beneath the surface that most assume going on. The most would not assume going into the film. Cannibal Holocaust was directed by Rogério Diodato with a script by Gianfranco Clarici. Yeah, that's what I always say. It stars Robert. We're Kerman. American. Just yeah. give us a pass. <laughs> it stars Robert Kerman, Carl Gabriel York, Francesca Ciardi, Luca Barbaresh. Barbareski? Yes. And uh, Perry Pickenin. The film also features some great cinema verite cinematography by Sergio 
Dofsey mm-hmm. and a beautiful score by Riz Ortolani, who I will outright say is one of the most underrated composers in Italy. Uh, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just his track record, that track record alone is and amazing. It, he completely elevated this film, I will say. Yes. The Law of the Jungle. Eat or be eaten. These film cans tell what happened to the Americans who journeyed into the Amazon to shoot a documentary. New York City is only a day away from the green inferno of the Amazon jungle. Four Americans plunge into the savagery of the Amazon jungle to film a documentary. They never come back. Are they still alive? If so, where are they? Cruel. Brutal. Savage. Shocking. Authentic. Actually filmed in the Amazon jungle. convinced of it because i know i'd seen some of the the key scenes and it's one of those movies that everyone kind of talked about in hushed tones and sure. whispers and right. it's kind of like one of those movies you much like faces of death that you dared people to go and right. see and uh well and that i mean i really to me that's the i don't know honestly the rite of passage with it but you're absolutely right and um so this is the first time you've actually seen it Start all the way through wow. so it's like i had a very it's it, i described it to my wife as being it's simultaneously it's it's not it's not it's not at all the film i was expecting it to be and simultaneously it was sure i had seen a lot of the documentary films the cruise film right. and i just in my head had assumed that's what the entire film is going to be right. like um so like when we started off the documentary crew and then we were introduced to um the the professor and his his plight and i was like oh i just assumed this entire thing was like a mockumentary right. style thing and so and they find the, layers right it. and they find the uh, canisters fairly quick which i because i watch it again i watch it for the first time in probably about 10 years yeah and i will uh, say that first ago. half of the film like from um all the way up to when they find the canisters is fantastic yeah like, i agree it's um, for being a, for I have to say for for being a porn star, right, Kerman? <laughs> yeah, uh, Robert Kerman. Yes, he's really fucking good in this movie. And I was, Absolutely, I use I, letter, I use Letterbox a lot to keep track of movies and sure. what I'm watching. And I always like, especially a movie I like, I, I like clicking because for the most part, Letterbox reviews are, are a bunch of other film film snobs. So right. there's even like terrible movies. There's there's really well written and thoughtful reviews on there but i was so surprised like one guy gave it like half a star and he's like terrible script terrible acting if you even call it acting it's like how can okay, you can right. have your own personal feelings about this but how can you say anything that robert kerman did in right. this film as being bad right like i'm uh, often convinced though that people mistake because i mean because not only did he do cannibal holocaust but he did cannibal ferox and he did eaten alive he also did a lot of porn right well right right but yeah. i mean but like but so i think um, it's the same. He's kind of the same character-ish, I guess. Is that yeah. and and defined through all of those movies. Uh, I mean, not 
but just like it's him and you know it's him and i think like as a composite i think it's hard sometimes for people to be able to take away if there is a good actor or actress in a movie um and you know like just pull that one person out um i was gonna say like the movie itself to me and this is why i find it so fascinating is that the the movie is a paradox upon itself just because um things i've read i've read a couple books about the movie and whatnot and just kind of all these years of being around it and just it always being that movie it's a movie that you know speaks to that uh, like who are the real cannibals here uh and and then the famous last one right and you have the whole um just looking at documentary filmmaking and almost how and like again i'm not trying to tie it in but like look at how like today is and like the sensationalism of media Mm -hmm. and you know like oh you have a movie a documentary like supersize me that's awesome but i'm sure mcdonald's could make a a counter documentary that'd be just as oh so but it's uh it the sensationalism of documentaries and the way things are and it was you know the late 70s early 80s when this came out and everything you saw at that point in time i don't say you took it for truth Mm -hmm. but things aren't as exposed the process of how films are made, documentaries, things along that line. The general public, we were less knowing. We were less behind the curtain, yeah, so to speak. So um, now it's a lot more obvious. And to see this movie with fresh eyes in this time, you say to yourself, like, wow, they were really making some statements. But that statement collapses on itself. It, yeah. Because the sensationalism that he's rallying against is the same thing that he ends up using to promote this movie and the sensationalism and the exploitation of this movie. Yeah. So his whatever his commentary is completely collapses because he uses that exact thing to sell the movie. And then one thing I was reading about too on the film, and I've not been able to find necessarily anything to to completely back this up because there's so much, you know, unless you're there on set, you don't really quite know what was happening. And um, Robert Kerman is one of the most interesting, uh, unreliable narrators on the planet (laughs) because he, I I listened to a, a half our interview with him talking about this film and he has often said like it is the worst thing he's done in his career sure he said if he can um he said uh he has many many times said that if he could go back and pretty much undo his entire porn, porn career he would because he is classically trained as an actor that's what he wanted to do sure. porn is a way to make money and he honestly easily could have been the poor man's richard dreyfus right because he looked a lot like yeah, richard dreyfus for sure um but he said despite all the triple x films he did in his career this is still the thing that he regrets the most really um, and that he also it's he also said that you know Diodato is a sadist yes. and um, he did say though he thinks Diodato is a fantastic filmmaker he just makes terrible movies That's right um, but what uh, one th- from when I was doing a little bit of research I had read that um, Diodato has has said uh, in the past as well so like Diodato and Kerman you don't know who's telling the truth because Diodato has said many times that oh I was just trying to make a cannibal movie right but then there's other people saying. Kerman specifically says, no, Diodato told me this was that he was trying to make a statement. So it's like you have Robert Kerman who hates this film, who's also right. defending it, right. and Diodato who can't keep his story straight. So you don't right. really know. But I don't think anyone could watch this and say, oh, no, they had no message whatsoever. Because I agree. I had also decided to watch a little bit of Cannibal Ferox as yeah. well. And I had deduced that. And I was like, oh, no, this isn't a, just a regular Umberto Lenzi film. It's, right. it's you know. 
it well, is what it is. Well, and that's the progression, I think, that when you look at the way that the films play out. Yeah, a schlocky so have, film with a good director right. could still come out well. Right. A schlocky film with a bad director is still going to be Well, and I think that at that point it was a pissing match between Lindsay and Diodato as well. Mm-hmm. Lindsay strikes first with Deep River Savages, mm-hmm. conceivably the first cannibal Italian cannibal movie. And then um, you end up having Diodato comes back uh, mm-hmm. with Jungle Holocaust. Um, they love that word. Yeah, that, they, exactly. I mean, between that and cannibal, cannibal Holocaust and what's my cannibal apocalypse, I really love too. But anyhow, but um, so he comes back with the Jungle Holocaust. Um, I'm always forgetting what uh, um, the other name or last can was it Last Cannibal World was I think what they called it as well. Yeah, something like I think it was also known as Eating a Lot. It, right. Yeah. Well, fucking eat, Italian yeah. cinema never has well, one title exactly. And then so then of course you get Cannibal Holocaust. The response to Cannibal Holocaust isn't an actual statement being made but it's a statement of like i'm gonna outdo you and i'm gonna slice everybody up and that's when Lindsay mm-hmm. drops cannibal ferox yeah and then after cannibal ferox that's when uh diodato goes into like i'll say mainstream cannibal mode but that's when he ends up doing cut and run with like michael berryman and richard lynch oh my god and i forgot Ames. about that movie so there's i mean it literally is like this pissing match and who can make like uh, you know to a certain degree but uh, you know while because while Cannibal Holocaust was released, a mo- I think it was a month or two months later, House at the Edge of the Park, his next movie with David mm-hmm. Hess, gets released. And both of them get completely ravaged by the critics as just being masochistic and nihilistic and just pessimistic and all the istics. Yeah. Uh, and, and he kind of had a black mark on his career because of those two movies coming out so close together back to back. But it's just such a... I mean, just the progression through how that was a trend in Italy, like, makes me crazy just thinking like, about it's, it. And it's crazy, too, that so many of them were, were made multiple cannibal films. Right. And they rarely repeated themselves. Right. Uh, it's like, they, they're not only, like, they're the master of the masters of the ripoffs, but then they also, yes. like, they, they, there was a slew of cannibal films, and, you know, they're, they're ripoffs of each other in the sense that they're about cannibals, but, like, they never played right. out the same way. Right. Um, but isn't that the difference with Cannibal Holocaust from the other ones where I feel like a lot of the other movies you're looking at, you're saying to yourself, here is modern man, uh-huh. here is 20th century man, and he's thrown back with these savages. Mm-hmm. And while at the surface level, yeah, that's Cannibal Holocaust. However, then you look at it and go, wait, 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 there's more going on here than just modern man going back to primitive society and trying to survive. And that's where you kind of get the layers start to build on Cannibal Holocaust, which I think is way different than any of the other movies. Yeah, and it's 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 rough, and we're we're never gonna say it's not. Uh, and I and I completely understand that that's gonna be a turnoff for some people. Like sure. I was I was telling my wife about the film, and I don't consider myself to be a very squeamish person. Oh, but there's sure. stuff in this film yeah. I couldn't even. I can't I watch it watch. now. Like no. when I was younger in the '90s when I would watch this with my friend. Because <laughs> we all went through that stage. Hey, you like crazy? Here's Faces of Death. Well, here's Traces of Death, which has even crazier stuff. And then here's this movie and that and kind of going through the the steps of those things. Yeah. And I could watch it. And I also got to say in a funny thing when it comes to time and just concept of time, I actually said to my wife today, like, I'm going to come off like a noob. 
because I only first saw Cannibal Holocaust in 1994. <laughs> and here I and I'm like, here we, here we are. To- well, but no, but I'm saying, but like, but my thought being like in my head, just how fast time goes in your life. Yeah. Like, I'm like, why didn't I see it when I was six years old back? You know, yeah. like it, completely impossible. But I also think it's one of those films, too, that when you see it young, like you find something different in it. Totally. When you When you see it at a certain age, it's just fucked up shit for the sake of fucked up shit right, that's right. really what it is and it's like um i've all i i have said that is like if there's gonna if there's any movie that can convince you to be a vegetarian it'd be this movie because sure. it's 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 unflinching right um but then watching it now try you know um i i was mentioning to you off off mic yeah. that i i've got this ability where i try to find uh the pretentious aspect or the, the the good film aspect in pretty much anything sure and it's because like and that started happening when i was in film school and i got really messed i had my wisdom teeth removed and i got really messed up on vicodin and watched all uh, all 12 friday the 13th movies in a row and i nice. felt like i could have written a 30 page essay <laughs> at the time right. and it's That's like great. i'm able to pick this apart and 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 see what they're doing like it's definitely exploitation but exploitation with a reason and you can say what you want about the actual scenes of animal violence because there's a cruelty-free cut you can watch right, out right. there. Um, I was, I was, um, when I was doing research, I actually found um, Lloyd Kaufman defending the film sure. and saying that, um, not necessarily that. He, I always have to say this with a little bit of a warning. This is someone, someone defending these scenes and not saying that someone should go out and do any of this stuff. Right, but right. As we said in the movie, there are graphic scenes of legitimate animal violence in this film. It's right. part of the reason the film has got an X right. rating, and and I and it's it's crazy now being older. I skipped over it one hundred percent. Like yeah. the second they grabbed animals in this movie, I just hit the fast forward and just kind of yeah. Like quickly the past the, it. the the first time I saw it, I was like, I uh, was more shocked than anything because I knew right. it was coming. I just. Right. I, but the one that I could not watch was the turtle. Yeah, no, I know. For so, just, so just, long. I know. But, uh, but those damn muskrats, who cares? The hell with them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Lloyd Kaufman said that he believes, because the theory of montage, and you're cutting back and forth between things, that Diodato using these animals sells the fact that, well, you can very obviously tell that this is real. These are animals. There's no right. way to, un- to fake this. Then everything else has, has to, to be, be real. real. Absolutely, and it's kind of like uh, it's the the old Tom Savini trick where he talks about shooting the original Friday the Thirteenth, and he's using a rubber axe. Right. But they do a cutaway to a real axe coming in contact with something, so that way you can be like, oh, that, that thing's got a lot a of weight. So that way, when they cut back to the plastic one, you assume it's the still right. the real one, and it's it's interesting. You were mentioning before about Diodato's um, theory on the film collapsing on itself because. He's because uh, it's supposed to be about sensationalism and media, and that's what this film is. It's one hundred percent exactly. It's like the only difference is he's not actually killing people; he's right. killing animals. And I don't want this to be a again. I'm not. Um, I'm defending it slightly. I'm. I'm not even defending. It. I'll say this. I'm pointing out. I think the mindset that went into this. So you have to. In my from what I've read and from what I understand about the movie is that um, the cannibal movie. The Italian cannibal movie came about as a response to the Mondo movies mm-hmm. uh, created. Um, I had their names written down, Jacopetti and Cavara, who did like Mondo Cane, which was yep. like kind of the first one. So you had, you know, your Mondo Cane, Shocking Asia, all these different type of Mondo movies, Mondo Bizarro, things mm-hmm. that have come out over time. And in those movies, 
the most sensational thing that was always in those was some kind of an animal uh, killing, not as blatant as the one in Cannibal Holocaust, but it was like they would film, here's a voodoo ritual from down in, you know, wherever, yeah. or this is that, and that's where they were getting it from. That's what was selling, and the producers knew that. So when they started creating these cannibal movies, it was in response to the success of those Mondo movies that were coming out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Farewell Uncle Tom, things like along those lines, with scenes where a lot of it was staged, a lot of it was like they tried to incorporate as real as they could. I mean, Farewell Uncle Tom is completely not real. There's no way they went back in time, <laughs> <laughs> as they state in the. But all the other the Mondo Kane movies, even as we all know now, Faces of Death is almost 100 percent uh, entirely fake. Um, with the exception of a little bit of the footage at the end, everything else was filmed in that style to make you believe that it was real. Yeah. So that you know, these movies were a response to that, and that's why a lot of the animal killings were put into it, not justifying it, mm-hmm. but that was kind of the grab, like you said, to be like, is it real? Does this mean everything's real now? And yeah. it was to add to and, that. And Diodato, like I mentioned it in my my opening preamble but Diodato wanted this film to seem so real and sensationalist that he he put in the actors contracts that for a set period of time they weren't allowed to do anything else right. they had to essentially stay in, in hiding and uh, then when he got taken to court for it they're like okay we this stuff is very graphic you're killing these animals you are obviously killing these people because the actors haven't been seen right and so he had to like track them all down and right. have them do interviews and showing how he did like the stake the, the right. stake through the woman who was actually their clothing designer <laughs> was it really oh, yeah that she was there the on set for as their clothing designer she was the one that was the lady on the stake and it's 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 fascinating to me like i said we were talking about how the film was two films within one and um Let's see what was his name? Carl Gabriel York. Yes, he does. He does an interview on uh, the Grindhouse releasing disc of this, talking about his experiences making the film. Because when they shot that part, it was pretty much just Diodato, a camera, and the team, because they wanted to seem as lo-fi as right. possible. He, he wanted that to be the the realism part. He still had some of that cinema verite style shooting sure. bracketed around it, but that was going to be the actual movie part of it. And York talk, talks about he's like he's like there's a couple of scenes where we're going to set a couple of the days and he's like I was legitimately convinced that I was going to die. He's right. like, I thought we were shooting a snuff film. Yeah, especially because he didn't speak English. Very few people on the set spoke English. We are just freaking out. He said he had hired these indigenous tribes to do to to help out with the film and he wasn't treating them very good either. Let me ask this though, mm-hmm. as a wrestling fan. Yeah, I'm to this day. To me, one of the biggest secrets in history, in life, in my life, that I would really love just to see how this worked. Mm-hmm. How did they get these indigenous people to cooperate? And were they truly so indigenous that they were... I mean, how do you find people that are living in the woods and ultimately tell these people we're filming a fake movie with a lot of people dying and them being like oh like even be able to wrap I, their mind I want to know it. this too cuz like I think Robert Kerman talked in one of his interviews that someone asked him like well, how indigenous were these people and he kind of laughed and goes well they didn't wear jeans and tennis shoes 
Right. So it's like that was his, you know, could have just been people kind of like the uh, the Aboriginal people in Australia. Right. You know, they 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 follow these customs and everything. Right. But, you know, they they are aware of the world around them. They're getting paid. Right. Apparently. Well, and how much of it is a work like exactly. literally a work that Diodato set? I, and I don't know speculation, what have you. But that this is one of those where it's hard enough to like herd people together if you're having a party it's like rounding up cats how are you rounding up a bunch of indigenous people that don't speak any english or italian and be able to convey to them we're gonna fake kill these people it's honestly like the 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 uh the 80s extreme version of nanook of the north yes where all like the 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 uh the um not the Alaskan people. What are they? The Inuits. The Inuits. Yeah, they they watch that film and they laugh just because of how stupid they think it is. And right. I actually heard a story when Eli Roth made his oh, sure. his, his his tribute film yeah, to it, The yeah. Green Inferno, which actually wasn't too bad. Uh, um, <laughs> speak for yourself. Um, I have to say, I guess I guess I, I'm coming from the perspective is like I didn't think I'd ever get to see anything that weird or extreme in in a, in a theater. I agree with, with you other on people. that. So maybe I, I don't know if I'll still that. enjoy it the second. time. I watched but... it again like a month ago just because it was on HBO and i was like Ugh. okay yes well, I, i'm still gonna have my memory of seeing it in a theater because that was just a weird experience but right. he talks about when he made that film uh, sh- uh showing the, the 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 tribes people that helped to make that film showing them cannibal holocaust and they're all laughing right so which i think also to me taken out of context like what did he show them clear did he just show them all the scenes of them like killing the people uh, you know, I, because it's not like he's showing them all the Kerman parts of him, like talking in the studio, and they're like, "Oh yes, I see the social commentary of this makes a lot of sense." Like, you know, so it's, I get it. I also Eli Roth again; he's a showman, so I don't yeah. know how much legitimacy you I don't know place either on, but... and, on a lot of this stuff, and that's why I'm always curious about. This just seems very. Like... Pro, crazy pro wrestling and, and and film are both in the same respect that I feel like we're at the point now where we're both really in the know. You you probably even a little bit well, sure. quite a bit more than me in terms of wrestling because you do work behind the scenes with it. But we know it's a work. We know it's a show. We know how a lot of it's done. We know how you know we know how punches are thrown. We know right. how, you know we know how blading works. We know how all this stuff works. And same thing of films. But there's always those couple little things like this is still, one of those. This I is still don't know how they those. did this, right. and that, that's that's always appealing to me when I see something because like until I read Diodato explain it, when I first saw that woman on the pike, I'm like, how the fuck did they do right. that? I thought it was a dummy. I thought yeah. it was a dummy. I that did they too, just, and then like, I was like, it's like a really convincing looking dummy. Right, right. And then I read how they did it, and I was like, oh, that makes complete sense. Right. Yeah, so no, I like, know. There are the things the, like that that this make mystery. It, it's right. like I'm sure there's still things like when I I, I can I know just listening to your podcast when there, you and Derek will will get on subjects that there is not as much information about, and in your brain you 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 both have like this childlike whimsy where you're like right. we don't understand this completely and that's exciting. Right. And I'm also with getting older, I feel like I'm just submitting more to Occam's razor and just the most logical <laughs> yeah. uh, answer is probably the the one that it is. So most likely he just went there and just started filming with these people. Yeah, and so. like was probably paying them in some sort of currency because I know um, um, Kerman, who our great, wonderful, unreliable narrator, has said that not only were they not – I love the fact that they were talking about – he was talking about pay disputes right. and everything. Right. But then he was like, oh, he was barely paying them. It's like – what kind of currency was he giving them exactly last thing i will say if you ever get a chance go on youtube and watch if you just search uh, robert kerman 
Cannibal Holocaust is an interview coming up, and it, it's him drinking that very stereotypical New York co- yes. coffee cup. Yes. There's a great moment in there where he's talking about like just his hatred for the film, and he's like, he's like it's the most vile uh, uh, scenes of torture I've ever seen. Uh, he's just listing all the things, and he's like, in my, in my career, it's also the most explicit nudity. And then he stops, so he laughs, and he goes, "Well, that's a lie." I, I think what what Italian filmmakers back then were doing was they they couldn't compete with American sensationalism, so they had to out-sensationalize American films. Or the, they thought they did. So, uh, uh, everything seemed like it was old hat to me. I mean, nothing seemed... I mean, my being on that set, and that was the first time I was ever on a set with such graphic nudity or... Well, not... I wouldn't say nudity, uh, violence, or just chop them up for the sake of the grinder. I mean, I, I didn't find it an artistic. I found my own acting. I found I found Deodato set up scenes nicely so that I can get, I as an actor could find my own little bits to, to throw in. But then the question to me that... Which I just found his little, like, aside was really funny. And that to me is also that where it's like, is he, he's in the business. Mm -hmm. Is he, is this him? Was he really as ashamed of it? Or was this, listen, if I made a completely offensive movie and people were saying it was offensive... I'd be the first one saying it's completely offensive. Yeah. Please come and see it because he's going to be making some kind of money in something like doing conventions. Yeah, at the time too, because yeah. he's like, oh, I was just talking to Diodato the other day. It's like, oh, so you can't hate it the, him that much right. if you were just because if you had just done a convention with him. Because I, my time in conventions, I know there's a lot that goes into that too. It's like if, right. if there's two celebrities who don't like each other, you they're not, not yeah, next to each other by each other at all. Or if if, if they had a t- bad time with the movie, they're not going to be there. Right. Right. But he was at all of them. Right. Right. When it started to get the notoriety, he ended up at all the conventions doing everything. So he can't hate it that much. Controversies cash. Yeah. Cash. I agree. No, and I, that's, I always think that that's really funny. But he, uh, <laughs> I just, I think he had to know. I mean, towards oh, the end of his life, because yeah. I know he passed away, I think it was a year or two ago. Yeah, it's not that long ago. It's, it's I was, pretty I was surprised with all the, 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 the horror and film avenues i follow i'm surprised that i found that out there wikipedia right I'm oh really yeah i hadn't heard about that yeah i saw i i remember seeing it and thinking well that's kind of a shame i mean even be like within a year or so i don't think it was that it really wasn't that long ago no i think it was like issues of diabetes or something like that so do you look at it now so again so now you've seen it and you're with the fresh eyes of now and you're able to appreciate it for what it was i believe as much as it's a mean-spirited movie as oh, i think a 100%. lot of diodato stuff is there's an earnestness to it mm-hmm. that for good or for bad um makes it watchable in my in my opinion um but again ba- barring the animal cruelty stuff i i really honestly like squirm just thinking about next time that. i watch if i ever do watch it again which i'm sure will come up at some right. point because amanda was interested in she, i know she won't be able to handle the animal yeah. cruelty scene so i'm gonna tr- i'm gonna watch the animal cruelty free I, i'm gonna watch the cruelty free version right right i felt like i owned it to myself to see it the its whole, original right. version and right. actually i have to give credit to uh, the streaming service shutter yeah they have the the full uncut everything version out there because if they hadn't been streaming it you can't get it anywhere unless you buy it on disc right right which is yeah which is amazing credit to them yeah i just really um it's just such an interesting movie 
I know a lot of people like to harp on the thing too with it, like, oh, it's the original found footage movie and all that, and that's great. I mean, whatever, that's fine. And yes, when Blair Witch came out, I found myself on my film soapbox going mm-hmm. like, oh, you think this was the great yeah. found footage? Um, but like, I don't even technically think that that's what makes this movie no, good or entertaining. No. This movie shouldn't work. No, like, there's nothing all. about because like it's very narratively weird, too. right? Like, um, um, even like Sergio Leone apparently wrote Diodato after he saw the film and said, "Yeah, this is gonna piss people off." Right. Um, and the film is very narratively weird because like when my going into it and except when I thought I had seen it, I thought the entire thing was gonna be this found footage, and it's part of the reason I really had no interest in seeing sure. it. Like, other than the animal violence and the extreme violence and all that, this is like I just don't. I have to be in a very specific mood for a found footage style right. movie. Uh, but I found the story of of um, Professor – I was going to say Professor Kerman. I'm trying no, to remember what his name uh, was. Monroe. Professor, Professor Monroe, Monroe trying to find these people and bring them home – first off, bring them home safe. Right. I remember there was that line where he was talking to his guy. He's like, what are the chances of finding these people? <laughs> right, right. And the guy kind of gave him some sly comment about it. But uh, I found that to be the most engaging part of the film because I liked it too because, you know, they're kind of trickling in this in- intrigue. So the first time they meet that first tribe, which we later find out the documentary crew fucking terrorized. Right, right. Um, that they're, they're very hesitant and Mon- Monroe and the guy on them had to essentially speak their language, not, not literally speak their language, right. but they had to communicate with them in a way that understands so that way they can trust them. Right. And you're like, oh, it's weird that this tribe is being the way they are. And then when you get deeper into the woods and they're met with all this hostility, it's because of how shitty that crew was. Oh, right. So it was, I found it more interesting to watch them have to essentially water down the flame right. and get them to trust them it wasn't they like oh we're going to this woods run it's a evil tribe right. it's like no. how, they do had to navigate, this? how do we do this right. as peaceful as possible and even Monroe almost lost it when he like was when um, uh, he was with that one tribe and he started firing up in the air yeah, and, right. uh, and I was and I, and I think he's like man Monroe's a badass in this scene. yeah for real yeah and it's like so they're Essentially, or he's essentially put out there to navigate like all of the leftover hostility that's coming because of what has been done by mm-hmm. uh, Alan Yates and his group. I think that the scene, one of the scenes that really sticks out to me, um, is when he's splashing around the water and they're flopping his dick. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll also give this credit movie for being for being. Uh, Far more male nudity than yeah, female nudity. Yeah. Way to uh, go, Kenneth. There's Ball a great. Uh, there's a great interview where Diodato again retconning his life, <laughs> saying like, "I never knew that he was in porno until like two years ago, and then I was surprised because when I saw a picture, I remember he had a real small penis. So I was like, well, nice dig. Like that's a great like way to bury your uh, your lead actor in your movie, right? Um, but I I just think it's interesting that um, the scene that's always stuck with me, even when I was younger. Was the scene where um, Alan, they're uh, showing the footage of them uh, burning down the village, or, or no, not burning down the village. It might have been, I'm going to con- confuse the scenes. Yeah. Someone was dying or someone was getting killed or something, and Alan's smiling, and the cameraman has to say, Hey, we're recording. And then he goes from having the smile on his face to, This is a very serious <laughs> situation here and the way things are done in the wilderness yeah. and, and woods. Um, I also will say, that uh have you seen that new movie um midsummer 
Not like, yet. You know, it's. It, I'm, I'm hoping not gonna, to see it soon. I'm not going to tell anything. I'm not going to give anything away. It's a new it's, movie. Yeah. But um, there's that movie. There's something that happens in that movie where it t- took me out of the movie just because it was incredibly unrealistic at the response mm-hmm. of the group of protagonists in the movie. Okay. And I feel that that's something that this movie also has really working in its favor when you're watching the footage of what they're like, just the found footage stuff that um, how great those performances are. I thought they were good. I mean, I thought they were good enough that I'm like, wow, they're actually conveying emotions that I would have expected from kind of that hardened, uh, like that documentary crew that's get trying to get that shot and it's kind of like by any means necessary and then sometimes you just have to stoke the fire a little bit to get what you're looking for out of it. No, exactly. And like uh, we find that out when they're uh, uh, showing the documentary that they had made before and uh, they're like, oh, it's hard-hitting stuff and you find the editor's like, yeah, you should see all the stuff, all takes of them paying the guys to to, to shoot and like, right. and then like you get the idea like when they're shooting this, like, oh, I see what they're trying to do. They want to show this one, they want to show this one tribe in, in panic and then they're going to piss off another tribe so that way they can get footage of them all charged. It's like, oh, right. I see what they're trying to do and it fucking backfires on them. Right. And I think it's interesting that Diodato in making the movie, the mind fuck that he puts on it all so he has found footage that's all acted out, all uh-huh. created. But then later on in the movie, when showing the supposed the footage that supposedly Alan Yates had shot, but his actual like newsreel footage of actual death has the producers from the television channel or not say, "Oh, those were all fake." Yeah. So he's actually took real footage, said it was fake. Took fake footage, said it was real. I'm just like it's like that's what I'm talking about the layers I just love how he just did this like complete and utter like fucking around with everything like that yeah it's 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 truly it's fascinating and it's I think that's also like because this film is so controversial that's what makes all these other elements just as just as fascinating because one thing like when I had first started hearing about this film a good friend of mine in film school his name was uh his name is Greg he was on our, our Rocky episode he was one of the first per- people that was telling me about this film and was telling me that how um, he was telling me about like the lawsuits and the controversy and everything and um I kind of lost my train of thought here uh he was talking about um that he said it was a uh, the nightmare on screen is there's the nightmare behind the scenes is just as interesting as nightmare on screen sure right and because right. if if I, I feel like uh the reason say eli roth's movie it, it, he could have made the say he made this exact same movie right and can the original cannibal holocaust hadn't existed he had made cannibal holocaust just now because of the way that films are made nowadays it would have just been all like it wouldn't have been nearly as interesting because there's no controversy behind the right. set and i'm not saying there needs to be controversy behind the set for a film to be right. interesting but that's another layer to right. to things like to Absolutely. films like this right no you just it's like that's what makes it interesting to find out everything that was going on in this and again and the bit the bits we don't know are the, how native are these indigenous people i think where uh, the eli roth movie suffers as well uh, is there's not a single likable person in the entire movie. Like no, there's least, not a person. At least this film's got Monroe. And that's what I'm saying. Like you, at, you, you feel some compassion, even though he almost does take a turn when they shoot uh, to gain the trust of the one tribe. Mm-hmm. He shoots the um, 
uh, some for the <coughs> other tribe as if like to say, hey, don't worry, I'm on your side, which to me kind of goes a little bit like, eh, okay, I guess that seems a little extreme to gain mm-hmm. their trust, but I guess so. Another thing I find really interesting, it's very subtle about this movie, is Alan Yates at one point is talking about the Yamamoto tribe, yeah, and he calls them the Yanamamo. He doesn't pronounce it correctly. And Diodato's gone on record, of course, retcon history, when someone pointed that out and said, hey, did he, was that because he wasn't as invested in the, like, Ed, like, oh, who's that, Siri? Oh, that was... <laughs> Oh, that was nice. Watch. Oh, yeah. my, it just scared the shit out of me, but that's okay. <laughs> they don't understand. They Where don't understand. But um, Diodato made it sound like, oh, that was planned, that Alan Yates didn't, like, he wasn't as uh, tied to these tribes and as invested in the project as he let on, and that's why he pronounced the tribe name wrong. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's more he just pronounced it wrong and you didn't want to do another take of that shot. Yeah, shot, and like, I've, I've read that multiple times that they couldn't they couldn't afford to do extra right. takes. right, right. And it's it's so fascinating to me that essentially a group of no name actors um, were able to, like you were saying before, convey this this emotion. Like Alan Yates is a, a, like when you we first meet them and they're all goofing around and everything. It's like oh they seem like a nice group of people, and then you get to know them and they're like oh they're all pieces of shit. And the first time we meet uh, Professor Monroe, and I was like oh he doesn't seem like an interesting character at all. He's got a great mustache, but that's kind of all right. he's got going for right. him. But then right. as that goes on, he gets more interesting. And it's, it's like I said, I kind of took great offense to that review that it's like all the, all the performances are terrible. And it's like, like you were saying before, it's like, I just don't think most people know what a good performance is because, right. you know, you don't have to be, have these crazy crying jags and shit to have it be a good performance. He's right. just very natural and, and relatable. And hell, I've even seen bad actors give good performances. It can happen. Um, and I think that's what really sells this film. It's you know, it's 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 hard to watch, not just because it's hard to watch, because it is, but to an extent, there is even 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 Yates's crew, which are all fucking terrible people, they feel real. Right. So you have this compassion right. to for them. It You're not cheering for them to die. Right. And it makes me think too, it's like, do some people not understand the the verite style of well it's not supposed to be like gosh darn it jim we're here and we're looking in the wood like you know like just a lot of uh um, exposition it's like a lot of it is just like kind of how people would act screwing around i'm sure a lot of that footage was just them throwing gear on a boat getting ready to take off and they weren't even yeah uh you know they're, they're just like we're just rolling the camera just because we're just getting natural stuff of what you're doing and that's, just that's you know, how the Blair that project in. was made mo- like there right. was, there's practically no script for that film right yeah it's definitely um it was harder to watch this time i think than it ever has been for me just being able to step away for so long and come back but it also made me really appreciate just the film itself for that i think it's more i think it's smarter than people give it credit for i agree and i also think that uh i mean it's so cliche it was ahead of its time and i don't think people can process that i think um i I just think that it people weren't i mean people were definitely ready for it it made a shit ton of money i think it like almost beat et that year for um, and it was box. barely out <laughs> right i mean yeah and i mean it did big business in japan and over in asia i know that but it was definitely like it had some real crazy box office um but i don't really to me um it was just smarter than most other ones and looking back now it's like look i love cannibal ferox 
love it to, love it to pieces i love eating alive i like cut and run i'm a big michael berryman fan it's awesome like those are yeah. all fun movies to me um but why this one became the tent pole i mean i guess there's a few tent poles in the sense of you look at um deep river savages is the first one as a tent pole this movie is probably the most notorious and then uh cannibal ferox is probably like the goriest and most like kind of shocking i think the best funky score too. well and i think the best um uh, advertising campaign the following feature is one of the most violent films ever made there are at least two dozen scenes of barbaric torture and sadistic cruelty graphically shown if the presentation of disgusting and repulsive subject matter upsets you please do not view this film because that i can think of two movies when i was you know six or not six maybe like seven eight nine years old at the video store that i saw that i was just like holy shit i need to see these movies and my parents were like no way in hell (laughs) one was uh cannibal ferox titled at our stores make them die slowly and snuff by michael finley which is a horrible movie now that i've seen it but um the cover of snuff was like two hands with like the razor blade and that was like in the snuff when everyone thought there were snuff movies Uh um and just the box art for cannibal ferox has always been savage it's brutal it's like the things like the legs with the machete and it's like just like the blood splatter like there was no way my parents were ever going to let me rent that movie and i also believe that when i saw that movie in the video store it was on beta and we had vhs which even made it more crazy and taboo like oh my goodness and now i can't even see it because it's not in the format we have mm-hmm. um so yeah so that's kind of interesting you, you mentioned um seeing a lot of the stuff like back when you were younger in vhs and this this really uh grainy rundown way um I want to get your just general opinion as a as a horror fan, slightly off topic sure. about um, proper like proper is the wrong word. I guess more preferential way to see some of these classic films. Like I I, I kind of go back and forth, um, especially with the, our sponsor Vinegar Syndrome, where it's like it's kind of cool that there's a company out there that's willing to do Criterion level restorations sure. of movies like The Corpse Grinders right, and right. stuff that doesn't probably doesn't necessarily deserve it, but like I was watching, um, don't go and don't go in the house. Okay, not too long ago, yeah. which is kind of a really interesting psychological like thriller, maniac meets psycho type sure. yeah. film. I'm, yeah, familiar. Um, and I know there's a, like a new restored Blu-ray and everything, but I was watching it in the basement on our tube TV with the VHS hooked up, and just those distorted images and how dark it muddy it was. Do you feel like films like Texas Chainsaw Mask or Cannibal Holocaust, or Cannibal Ferox? Do you think they they are made more effective when they're not completely restored and cleaned up? No, I just think you're it becomes um, you're relying on your me- memory. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it, and I don't get me wrong, that's great. I love uh, you know I have a my Roku and I watch the channel American Horrors and they'll have all kinds of movies on there and it's clearly ripped right off of a VHS and because sometimes you see like the tracking lines go through and it's great and again that's that's warm bread. That's yeah. a hamburger. That's a, a tuck-in at night. That's mm-hmm. a, I remember the way things were. But I th- I think it's great. I mean, I, th- I think any way you want to watch it is fine. Yeah. It's Maybe you might get taken out of it if you see something that's restored and, like, the effect becomes so much less. Like, you can actually, you know, you can see uh, the effects on someone's face or whatever it might be. 
maybe I guess that would maybe take me out of it and I could see how somebody not familiar with it would be taken out of it but I mean I love Friday the 13th I love everything about those movies but what I love the most is I can remember the first time I've seen each one of those movies when I was a kid the sleepovers the Friday like that's the memory Mm -hmm. you know like I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 I saw that movie at budget cinemas twice a night for a week like just because and that's the fond memory same with evil dead 2 like those are the things that i remember seeing in the theater um hell i saw nightmare on elm street 2 in the theater with my dad and uh i just the movie to me is kind of a joke now it's just laughable i'm not it's not one of my favorites but i love it because i love the memory of like where i was when i saw it so yeah and like I, 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 I when because I, I reason I asked that question is I've had people say to me that like, um, uh, like oh Texas Chainsaw Massacre is better watching on a shitty like three time duped VHS and I was like yeah. I get that but like one thing that I noticed watching Cannibal Holocaust that maybe I wouldn't have noticed if I saw it on a, a crappy like uh, copy to VHS tape was how night how how interesting the cinematography actually was and sure. how well this movie act, how well shot this movie is especially too when it's doing this this cinema verite style that wasn't nearly as popular at the time right it was it was first coming up around this sure. time and people were doing it cheaper than this but it's like here's this guy making a movie that he knows is going to be controversial he knows is going to be met with uh, pushback, maybe not as much as actually happened. He knew probably knew that it was going to piss people off. Right. He probably didn't know it's going to get banned in fifty countries or right, anything right. like that. But like you can tell while watching it that like this guy's got an eye for he's got an eye for shots. He's got an eye for angles. He's 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 thinking about this like a filmmaker. Right. He's, it's he it's probably was made with the intention of being a cash grab because cannibals were in at the time. Right. But. He's going into it making the best fucking movie he could. Right. Agreed. And, and, and I think personally his best movie. Yeah. I've I not mean, seen a lot of his stuff. Sure. I know with reputation behind a lot of it. Uh, it's also not easy to find a lot of right. his stuff. Yeah, which is also very interesting. Like even with the uh, love that people have for John Morgan and David Hess, I'm really surprised that um, House by the Edge of the Park, I think that's the one, yeah, is uh, not available. And that's, that's a crazy movie. Like mm-hmm. that to me is almost... I mean, that one's a real dark. Uh, and just David Hess, it's kind of a shame that he kept getting um, typecast into these roles after Last House on the Left because he was a legitimately charming actor. Right. He is a, had a really interesting music career. After the rainbow, after the day glows come over you, a bottle of wine and then a waterfall gonna lead you to the dream. music he made for last house on the left is i think one one of the saving graces of that film right well and that's the and not to tangent on that one but that to me top five goosebump moments in a movie is when right after one of the girls gets raped and she's wandering out into the lake and they're playing the david hess song like mm-hmm. girl and like now your life is gone or whatever it is but like it's like like but it's almost like the, a coming of age song for a, a woman but it's just like a real creepy like the creep factor the yeah. skin crawling of it like to me not listen not i'm not saying i love that she got raped no, no, i'm no, saying no. like it's a moment that sends shivers like it's really it's, like holy it's, cow it's it's effective and uh earlier when i was talking about um 
comparing Cannibal Holocaust to Cannibal Ferox, where yeah. you know Cannibal Holocaust is a trashy film by a a really good director, while Cannibal Ferox is a, is a trashy film by a not so good director. Right. As much as I love Umberto Lenzi, right, I, right. I've seen quite a few of his films, but it is what it is. It's kind of the same way with something like The Last House on the Left, which is a, a schlocky, tough to watch film done by an up and coming director who's going to go on to become a really good director versus something like I Spit on Your Grave, which is a trashy film done by a not-so-good director. Right, right. Where there's moments in, uh, like, is 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 it's hard to watch and vile as Last House and Left can be. There's moments of where you can see Wes's soft touch sure. in that film. Where in that scene, where after, uh, you know, when she's on her way down to the lake and um, the killers are just kind of, like, standing there, like, Right. Yeah. Looking at the blood on their and hands and being the like, moment. "Oh, we and just that song's playing. Like they did. It. They we don't just know what did to this. Say. We just yeah. did. Like because like you get the feeling that maybe they don't think they had intended to go into that situation to do that, but things escalated. Things happened. They're like, "Oh fuck, we right. just this just happened." Well, let me let me bring this around for you then. Okay. Wes Craven, after Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. is slated to direct a movie called Marimba, um, about drug running cartels in the Amazon. Okay. Um, has a money dispute with the studio. The director that takes his place, Ruggiero Diodato. Marimba turns into Cut and Run. That's what. That's uh, how Cut and Run comes about. I need to see Cut and Run. I've yeah. never seen it. Uh, Diodato takes the job away from Wes Craven over a money dispute because of the success of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Interesting. So there you go. See, so we, even by bringing up Last House on the Left, <laughs> we're able to tie Wes Craven into the conversation. Well, all these things are, are, are tied into each right. other. Like... Uh, Especially to at the even across countries, the, the the filmmaking landscape was so much smaller then right. that all these people were aware of each other and they knew each other. And well, and to see Cut and Run, you can almost and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, because again Willie Ames uh, uh, is in that Michael Berryman. Like it's actually it's I love a slick, it's I really a slick movie. Like I mean, it definitely feels like a 1980s like American Ninja, like a canon type. It has that kind of feel to it. Um, and uh, the it's funny to think that if Wes Craven was tied to this movie the the way it was supposed to be, I can only imagine that it was hey Wes these movies have been big in Italy. Let's do something similar, but not that yeah. over here. And and then, of course, once West taps out, they're like, well, shit, why don't we just go after one of the guys that made one of these movies over there? They seem competent. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, and then they, he pops in. One so. thing that I love doing, I love, I love looking at Italian directors' filmographies. Yes. And just seeing, like, all the trends. Like, everyone from Fulci to Argento. Well, Argento's right. kind of maybe the slight exception to the rule because he kind of, after Birth of the Crystal Plumage, he got to write his own ticket and do whatever the fuck right. he really wanted to. Right. But the other guys essentially had to chase jobs and they made it the most interesting they could with what they're having. But you see, look at you look at um, Fulci or Lenzi or any of those other guys and it's like, Oh, this is their their Italian comedy period. This right. is their uh, uh, this is their spaghetti western period. Yeah. This is their which, by the cannibal way, period. To me, for the apocalypse by Fulci is like my favorite. Western. I agree. I think it's I one of those it. most underrated movies. I really like. It's so weird. It's yeah, just like it's. Well, I mean, all it's, of his uh, movies are weird. It's like very strange. I, I think that's what makes him so interesting. Like yeah. House by the Cemetery makes no fucking sense, and that's why it's beautiful. Right. I agree. Yeah. There's, There's such a, a like the I think of so many people. Well, they think about the cannibal genre, and it's like, I think, of course, we look at Cannibal Holocaust and say to ourselves, this is the ultimate cannibal movie, and I get that. 
And I agree, I guess. I think what I love about it is it doesn't have to be flashy. When we think about um, Cannibal Ferox, you think about the marketing on it and you realize how um, extreme that was. And if you've ever seen, there's some great pictures online from uh, 42nd Street when uh, Cannibal Ferox is playing his Make Him Die Slowly. Just like the cutouts and the boards around the buildings, is it's gorgeous. Like it's the coolest thing in the world. But then you think about like how far out the net of Italian Cannibal goes and you think you have like a couple of the Emmanuel movies toyed with the idea. In fact, there's a Emmanuel in the Last of the uh, Cannibals, Which I believe. Which is on Shutter currently. I was going to yes. watch it the other yes. day. So like there's Cannibal uh, with that. You even go out and you even step further and you get into like Dr. Butcher MD where it's almost like the cross between where it's like cannibals and zombies and a mad doctor and things just kind of like from there they really did that also come out as butcher baker nightmare maker am i no that's a different movie um altogether but yes but it's uh uh just thinking about like the weirdness that and so i think like what was the other one like like massacre dinosaur valley which always is kind of a weird one Mm -hmm. to me as well but there is a ton of movies that came out that you just go um wow these are really like these are all tied to the italian cannibal uh, market and they all just kind of hovered around and I don't know do I consider the cannibal movies horror movies I don't know I kind of feel more action more than anything else but just like gory action so. yeah it's it's like I um, I was actually watching um, today a um, Eli Roth going back to him yeah. did a TV show for AMC called yes. uh, History of Horror which I think is actually really well yeah, done it's, it's, I think it's well done um, I was watching a little bit today on, on Slashers and um, they were talking about um, the difference in say something like a, a terror film versus a horror film and a terror film is is deep dread of the unknown while horror is directly reacting to something right so i feel like in using that definition it definitely is a horror film but like you said there's nothing really scary it's it's grotesque there right. like you said i feel like they definitely could be considered more of an action film right because it's it almost seems unfair that gore films get lumped in with horror because they're not usually very scary they was well, it like exploitation more so yeah, than lumped and, in with horror like that yeah and is. like exploitation and horror kind of are always mixing in with each other because horror can be exploitation but exploitation isn't always necessarily horror exactly um it's i guess the a better way to describe it would be transgressive where it's about um you know taking these established morals and putting them on their head yes right but nobody wants to go look in the transgressive movie section of the blockbuster (laughs) no people are like what does that even mean so yeah, you're gonna you're gonna find some weird right. shit if you look, right. go down that. Right, it was like a, that right, right. Hole. It was a. Re- I mean, I get it. Like there is like we, there's no choice. Like you have to lump it in. If you get a, a video store that like some of the nice stuff that they have in L.A. where it's like they're able to do like here is our, you know, uh, like this. Yes, here's our cult section or our, the transgressive cinema section, which they sure they have it stuff like that. I think they're able to make those better separations. But yeah. I think the catch-all was always just like here's horror. Odd Obsessions video in Chicago actually had, kind of does that. They'll they'll have very niche sections, yeah. And they'll once a month they'll do a section of the month, okay. Where they'll they'll pick a very just weird collection of films and make their own subgenre out of it, which sure. I appreciate that. But uh, I went to New York a couple of years ago for the Trauma Dance Film Festival, and mm-hmm. I got to thankfully go to Kim's Video Village before they closed oh, down. Oh yeah, right and, on. Uh, it's always my goal whenever I go to a new state. 
I try to find a video store, not a place that rents videos, but a place that actually sells them. And I try to find something weird and regional that was shot in that state. It's sure, just a, yeah. So like when I went to New York, I, I wanted to grab Maniac and Maniac Cop on Blu-ray because awesome. they Good were choices. shot in New York. Yeah. I loved when I was there, they actually had, because they do their sections by director, I love that they had a Diodato section. Oh, very cool. So uh, he's, got, like, he's pretty prolific when yeah, it comes to like, his movies. I think I've talked about it on the show before too. Like, you can be problematic and still prolific. Yeah. And because problematic is history still. Exactly. And like it or not, the the horror genre will never be the same had he not made Cannibal Holocaust. And honestly, if Diodato hadn't made it, someone else would have. Right. This the world is kind of self-correcting. It's always going to find a new way to do these things. But like, I guess I'm more in the state that at least someone who was legitimately trying to make a good movie made it versus someone who was like, yeah, I need right. 50 bucks. I can go make a right. fucked up movie in the, in the woods. Right, exactly. Because like, I feel like... Uh, I, you were mentioning before earn, about earnestness in this film. And I feel like that trend, that, that speaks a lot, especially for what I'm looking for in movies, where I can, I can watch something by Ed Wood, as bad as it is, be like, I can see the earnestness in this. I can see the gears turning. I can see him trying. I can watch an Umberto Lenzi film and once again see the same thing. I can see the gears turning. I can see you're trying to make something. Right. A trend I dislike with a burning passion are the movies that are uh, trying to be too self-aware and referential. It's right, like, absolutely. Like um, uh, one of the movie, one of the film series I really don't like are, is the August Underground series. Sure. Because I, especially after talking to the director, who's surprisingly a nice guy and everything, and um, he was like, oh, I was trying to make it because I wanted to fuck people up the way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre fucked me up. It's like, I feel like you went up into this with the wrong intention. Right. Right. You weren't trying to make a good film. You were trying to just shock people. Right. Or the people who do the intentional exploitation or the grindhouse style filming, which annoys me because most people don't even know where the term came from. Uh, and they're trying and they're trying to make like bad exploitation films. It's like you guys do realize a lot of the charm that you're making fun of happened organically. Right. For them trying to make a good film. They're like, oh, let's just make they're not like they're not just saying, oh, let's go make something that's a piece of shit. Right. Well, I think, and I'm going to tie this back to wrestling on this one because I think that this is a this is a great point that you make. So, uh, where we are, well, I consider this to be pretty successful. You know, like we're yeah. <laughs> actually like we Ten turn years, a, going, we turn a profit. This is your eleventh year, correct? <laughs> yeah, we turn a profit, which that wrestling is a business, and if you're in a business and you're not making money, then you shouldn't be in the business. You know, whatever. But so at times when we do spitballing brainstorming sessions. Uh, there have been times where we've thrown things at the wall, like, uh, and just for an example, and again, this is such like a crazy thing, but we're like, what if we brought in like Kamala and just made him our, uh, like the president of our promotion? He doesn't even speak English and it just comes out and does, oh, it makes some noise <laughs> and it would just be funny and we laugh about it. And then we realize the reason we would do that is because we have, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So... Just because, like, hey, if we have some fuck you money, let's just bring them in. And it would be funny because the lo- the theory for, like, independent wrestling is if you book any kind of a name, you advertise said name to help draw ticket sales. Yeah. Putting the butts in the seats. But we were like, what if we just book some guy and just, like, didn't announce him? He just walked out at the show. And indie wrestling promoters would say, that's terrible, a terrible idea. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you not advertise? And uh, 
Um, and our thought was the reason we would do something like that was because it would piss off indie wrestling promoters. That being said, that's the wrong reason to do anything to either like if you're really trying to like I get it like you can elicit an emotion or a feeling out of somebody that you want to watch your movie. Uh, my point being, but when you're doing it for like a very like specific reason, that's almost kind of like masochistic or almost kind of like, like, I don't say torturing somebody, but again, like you're look, you're going to start doing things that you shouldn't be doing. It's just going to become gratuitous and mm -hmm. awful. There's lots of movies like that, that are out there that they've done it and you just go, oh, well, that's not, Yeah, you just did it. Uh, and it just, and it, and it becomes shallow and it becomes empty and it, then there's no weight to it mm -hmm. at all. And so when you look at a cannibal holocaust you realize that while there was meaning to it it is and it is mean-spirited like we say that earnestness does seep through and that's what to me makes it truly an enjoyable movie yeah um i completely agree with that and i feel like it's i, I keep harping on this but it's uh, it's something i feel like i legitimately uh get into arguments with people about and um that earnestness can't be faked right and like you know I, I i go to quite a few horror conventions and i'm always willing i always like going around to some of the independent filmmakers there there and see what they're what they're putting out and i just I, I i get this general sense of people trying too hard right like they they're they're inspired by transgressive cinema like like um serbian film or cannibal right. holocaust or things like that and they're like, oh, I want to do something like that too, and never truly getting the point of it. Right. Like there is this um, um, a filmmaker who uh, I've never seen the film, but uh, I just saw the title and I just put the DVD down and walked away because it's like not interesting. It was called "Don't Fuck in the Woods." And like, yeah. right. I just feel like you're trying. For you're, all I right. know, I could go into it. It could be a well-made film. I right. don't know. I have not seen it. And I'm not going to throw the filmmaker under the bus. Right. But it's like it, it's just it, I just get the feeling of there's no earnestness to it. Right. Or if it, it's earnest in the fact that you want to make something fucked up, but right. it's like I always tell people because uh, I'm a filmmaker as well to chase your passion, make something you're passionate about. Are you truly passionate about this this weird rape? in the woods movie right if you are sure chase that passion and diodato wasn't necessarily passionate about making carnival holocaust it was a job but right. he's passionate enough in his craft right that he wants to see it through well that was kind of the funny uh, on a little sidebar on it on a serbian film was that when the director screened it in austin and somebody for south by southwest which i would have that's the one screening of a movie i would always want to be in. i guess people were just so up in arms but when someone asked like why'd you make this movie his response, whether it's true or not, that like his thought behind it was he said that um, the Serbian government fucks the citizens and the Serbian movie industry so hard and like people and makes it so hard for us to live. They fuck you from the time you're an infant until the time you die. Uh -huh. And that's what I was trying to say with this movie. Whether I believe that or not, no. But the truth, but the point to that is it's like he didn't know. I don't think he knew that movie was going to get the reaction no much like as much as diodato kind of did i still think that they like he was like i'm doing this i but I, I feel like he knew it was gonna it, it was gonna, gonna ruffle feathers but he didn't know it was gonna, gonna be push as, buttons, the way it was it's like, right no one sets out to make a cannibal film without trying to push, push buttons. buttons like right. that's that's part of it right but um 
I don't think anyone's going to make a film. It's like the difference between a movie, someone making a film that is meant to push buttons and that gets banned in 50 states versus or 50 countries versus a guy's like, I want to make a movie to get right. banned in 50 countries. There's no earnestness behind right. it. And as a wrestling promoter, I can say, I would love to see proof that this movie was banned. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, much like Faces of Death and a lot of those things, um, reading the history, uh, some movies were able to go into cities and self-ban themselves just for the publicity of it all. And as long as no one, so if you made a movie, here's your new scary movie, The Bear Massacre, whatever. Um, you've made this movie. Massacre. Nobody knows. I, listen, nobody steal that idea. The bear massacre. I just Copyright, you, have a picture, you, have a, you have a picture of a bear in your wall. I just grabbed that. But anyhow, <laughs> so you make this movie bear massacre and it's the most, uh, just mundane pedestrian film of all time. It's literally stock footage of a bear, uh, at like a dump getting garbage out of a garbage can. And, uh, you want to get some notoriety for it. You could go to Milwaukee. Nobody knows your movie. You can, uh, say, I would like to get this banned, yada, yada, yada. There are some steps you can take. Mm -hmm. And as long as nobody protests it and nobody says anything, your movie could be banned from Milwaukee. And, and funny enough, I, I, I wonder that too when I was researching it. So Diodato had the the actors sign a in their contract that they weren't able to take other jobs. Right. I can I could believe that. I can believe that. So he went into it being like, oh, I want you know, I want this to be controversial. But then when he, I, I want to find the court records for this that's because right. when people are actually like taking him to court for thinking it was a snuff film because that's another reason why I thought this entire film was a found footage film because like when I watched it this time and I was like people thought this was real right like yeah the animal violence is real and I guess I can see why like but like, again that goes to those three things yeah yeah you say the real stuff is fake yeah you do real stuff you make fake stuff and say it's real yeah and actually funny enough going back to the august underground films I was, have you seen any of them yes before? yeah not my favorite well, right, I, I met the 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 director at a um at a convention where we just shot up a conversation i was like he seems like a cool guy right, right. uh he's selling his dvd for 10 bucks uh so i was like fuck it i'll buy it i watched i watched it once i was like eh, i have no interest in this ever again but he was telling me a funny story about uh, whether or not it's true or not, but once it, I, I think John Ford said, if you have to choose between the uh, uh, the 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 reality and the legend, print the legend. Right. Um, where he was saying that he he's a makeup effects artist. That's what he does for his day job. Sure. Is uh, and he was going up to Canada to do something do uh, to do in a, a event. Clive Barker was doing a convention along with Doug Bradley, and they're going to do the pinhead makeup, and they hired him to help with the pinhead makeup. Oh, nice. Um, but he's like, well, they're going to be at the convention. I'll bring some of my DVDs and whatnot to try to sell them. He got stopped at the Canadian border there and they saw this DVD and they, it was on like a, a not allowed list or something. Cause it sure. was considered a snuff film. And he's like, it's all fake. And they're like, yeah, but this is banned and everything. And he's like, we've been told this was real. And he's like, there's a DVD commentary. On right. This right. One. Exactly. <laughs> like this, right. This, this is all completely fake. I'm an effects artist. And you said like, he couldn't get through the border. Right. But I just like, I, like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the, 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 the court cases and everything were all because like unless we can prove it we have to go off of right. Diodato's word and the producer's right. word and and then who makes that statement that's like because that's my thought yeah like we are Brazil and you are in your movies now <laughs> like how does it like what I could get it know what I get is and this is what I think 
I think they get banned as a video nasty in England, mm-hmm. and they say shit. Which that's there is awesome. proof of that one, one hundred percent, because there was only this the the list of so many. There I think was, it was like fifty of them. Yeah, so most of them suck. Right, there's not a lot of great ones on there. <laughs> so it gets put on the list of video nasties, and then someone says, "Oh wow, so we got banned in England. We're on this video list. Let's just totally say." We're banned elsewhere. In, in my in my mind's eye, because I try to make everything into a Simpsons gag. I just imagine yeah. Diodato's on the phone calling Brazil. He's like, "Hey, can I show my movie Cannibal Holocaust there?" No. Okay. Right. Click. What, right. what are you banned. talking about? Right. Exactly. You're right. Hey, Chili, can I show my movie? Banned. Yes. Can you just call these places and ask if they'll show my movie? And when they say, "What are you talking about?" and then say no instantly, just say that it's banned. I agree. Yeah. I, I mean, but it makes for the good story. Yeah. I mean, it's like. Do you so if someone were to ask me about like the guinea pig movies and like Flower Flesh yeah. of Blood, they'd be like, What about this guinea pig? Well, the first story I'm gonna go to is the legend, the whole like Charlie Sheen getting his hands on one and like submitting it to the FBI because yeah. he thought it was a snuff film. Like, I don't say, Oh, it's a dude with a samurai hat just sawing up a like a body that looks kind of rubbery. No, you uh, start like you go to that. you start with the legend. You never go, you know, that's you ne- you never start out with just like or the flat even the story. For better is. or for worse, when people talk about cannibal holocaust. I don't know like, people who have seen the movie because at the same time it's a movie that a lot of people refuse to see and I don't blame them right. for it. One hundred percent. Because and I wouldn't say I, I don't want to ever say I wouldn't have ever seen it. It wasn't really high in my list. If I if we yeah. to, if I wouldn't have had this conversation being my inciting incident, I'm sure I would have seen it at some point. It just out of everything else that I want to see, it wasn't very high in my list. I'm sure. glad I saw it though. But um, there, when most people, I feel like half the time when I when people are like, "Oh, Cannibal Hall," oh, have you seen Cannibal Hall? Yeah, the turtle movie. Right. Like they, they of course bring up like the thing it's most known for, it's most fucked up thing, or right. oh, that was banned everywhere, or you know, oh, I got to, I saw it during the two days it was playing back on Forty Second Street right, back in right. nineteen eighty whatever. My other favorite line from people, and people were running out of the movie theater throwing up. Yeah. I would love to see. I would lo- really, truly love to see like that. That's always like my fate. That's like the measure of like how crazy a movie is. Is like, and someone ran out and threw up. It's like you know what mm. I miss. I miss theaters giving out barf bags. Right. Something as just a, like kind of fun play. little. Like if I if I got the chance to show something like Blood Feast here yeah. in town, it's tame by today's standards. But I'd give out blood bags right. or like or, or, or yeah, barf, barf bags, bags and right. stuff like that. Like, Wait, so I saw the movie Raw. I believe it was two years yeah. ago that French movie about yeah, the girl I've that's it's, cannibal. Kind of I I enjoy it. It's a slow it's a slow burn. It's my type um, of movie. But it's it was fun. Uh, they gave out keychains that had little blood bags. That's awesome. Yeah. That said raw on it. So that was pretty cool. And then my favorite was when I lived in Richmond, Virginia with my mother when I was in high school. Uh, we went to the Darkman premiere and everybody got a Darkman nightlight. That's awesome. Do you still have that? Uh, somewhere. That's yeah. awesome. Isn't that great? Like, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Like that to me was like, ooh, shit. Like that's some cool stuff. I and wish more like more movies would do that. Like, yeah. Just like a little bit of something, pre- you know? Like, I, they, like they'll get like – everywhere will get like pri- – like, Press will get like press kits and things. Right. But, like I sometimes find myself really into trying to find those collectibles. Like remember when Graveyard Records used to be open? Yeah. I remember I was pretty decent friends with Graveyard Dave who ran the place, and I was in there one time just scoping around, and he had a, a big collection of stuff from The Devil's Rejects because he was in friendly sure. with Rob Zombie and people who worked on that film, and he had a, ma- a Devil's Rejects matchbook. Oh wow! Uh, from like one of the bars in the movie, and I was like, "What is this?" It's like, "Oh, it's a thing that Rob gave a bunch of everyone who worked on the film." Interesting. Like, is it for sale? I was like, "Yes." I, was like, I bought a matchbook for the Devil's Rejects just so I could have it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. 
Right. No, I like there's there's like just little things like that that it, you need to, you know, you just want to have. And I think that that's the case. Like, you to do like to bring these movies back. Even it's nice because I I don't know with Sage Stallone passed away. Uh, are any like our Cannibal Ferox or any of those movies still from Grindhouse? Have they all? Yes. Been... Uh, Bob Morowski. Are you familiar yes, with his name? Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know, he is Sam Raimi's go-to editor. Also Academy Award winning for editing The Hurt Locker, and he actually just did that new Orson Welles film. Oh, sure, yeah. He edited that. Him and Sage Stallone, which is Sylvester Stallone's son, had a company called Grindhouse Releasing. It's still intact. It's still, it's still intact. there. Right. They do very sporadic releases, maybe once or two a year, because Bob Morowski is still a editor. But they uh, <laughs> Steadily working. Steadily working a lot. Um, but they also do theatrical runs, too. So if, pretty much if you have seen Evil Dead or Evil Dead 2 in a theater on film it's from them it's they, from them right because i got just see it in a like a church down in chicago sure. part of a, a, a university screening but yes uh, i don't know i think they still have cannibal ferox they definitely are still released they definitely still have the blu-ray for cannibal holocaust um because i thought that's where i originally got my blu-ray from yeah i got my dvd copy of pieces from them yeah yeah that's right i think i did too which if you fact. haven't seen pieces go out and see pieces right. for anyone one listening. of my all-time favorite movies it's, by the way you don't have to go to texas for a chainsaw massacre oh uh, yeah that um but i just think um <coughs> excuse me with these movies they're ripe for some kind of product placement or like some kind of giveaway again we talked about promoting yeah this is the thing that they need to do, like rebring these things out. And I think I would be, would you be fine if they re-released it? No, I don't mean like theatrically everywhere, but like if they did it, like they put it back out where people could get it with a not with, or with, I'm sorry, without the animal cruelty. It's on the Blu-ray. I know it's on the Blu-ray, but I'm saying, but like, do you think they, if they were to release it and show it around, like giving theaters, I guess the option Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't feel bad either way if a theater took either one? Or do you think as a film, are you like a film purist where you would say um, it needs to have the uh, cruelty in it? I guess it's one of those things that if – because I'm torn on it because I feel like in a lot of ways I am like uh, a purist in, 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 to some extent. Like for example, I'm going to give a very different example. But I, I was on the internet one time and read an article about how someone thought 16 Candles should be should – be banned because of how uh, anti-gay it is, which yes, it is, yeah, yeah, for sure, and how rapey it is, yes. which it is. But at the same time, not defending it, it's a product of its time. All right, you um, can't be retroactively offended by like art. I always yeah, kind of feel it's like there, and you know, there there are still like rape in movies. Generally, is just a very distasteful. Like, I just can't. Uh, it's hard for me to enjoy a movie that has it. I ha- it, I have enjoyed movies that have it. It's just it has to be very particular, right? Situations. But at the same time, like I'd be like, okay, that wasn't for me, but I can understand why they put, you know, whatever. Uh, but with with something like Cannibal Holocaust, I feel like I would completely understand and maybe even appreciate if they did it with uh, did the cruelty free version. But I feel like beforehand they need to even they need to explicitly say this is this is what we did, this is why we did it, this is not right. the original version of the film. Right. That version's still out there. Uh, but we have decided to do it because of X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. I feel like if they if they pass it off and trying to be like it's the original classic, and it's right. like no. Right. If right. you're gonna do it, be honest about it. Right. Like if you're gonna re-release Gone at the Wind and cut out all the 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 racist slurs, I understand why you'd want to do that. But you should let people well, know no, about absolutely. it. Absolutely. That's my whole thing. If you're gonna censor, censor with a reason. Right. And be upfront about it. Right. Don't. But just, even and uh, it sounds so terrible to even say, but it's like. A huge difference between a rape joke 
16 Candles, mm-hmm. and actual, like, animals being murdered on screen. Do you get, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, they're both not great at all. I understand that, and I'm not defending either or saying they should, uh, but it's definitely one of those where it's like, def- I think the animal murder and mutilation is so, it's something that's just so. Because it's real. Because it, it's real, like, it's it not shouldn't, s- right, it's not. Like, because it's, it's not simulated. It's, right. It's, if someone agrees to be in a really graphic scene, murder scene where they're nude and everything, well, you know, they read the script, they agreed to do it, they were probably Absolutely. paid to do it, they, they are okay with it, they have agreed to do it, everything's right. fine. That turtle never signed a contract, contract to get its head anything. cut off. Right, exactly. Well, uh, another one, too, when we were talking um, before with just some of the scenes in the movies and something that just when we were just discussing the rapiness of 16 Candles that I thought was interesting and it reminded me of something. I once had a conversation um, with uh, just movie friends, and I don't mean to lump Europeans into this whatsoever, but I'm going to a little bit, just a little controversial here. Sorry for any of our European Yes, any of our European listeners. Um, So... Noticing a lot of these cannibal movies, uh, it was very in vogue also for the male, sometimes protagonist, sometimes antagonist, to uh, express their dominance through raping. And now that theme carries through with like so many of these cannibal movies that in some way, shape, or form, they like uh, Yates and his crew uh, rape. Um, the one tri- the tribes girl yeah which was uh, not an easy scene to watch not at all that's another one that was like really difficult to watch and but it's again like the perception of like through rape women will mm-hmm. be like learn their dominance because also uh, in uh, Jungle Holocaust uh, Diodato's first cannibal movie um, when are you familiar with that one at all uh, I've heard of it I'm not so they it. basically like crash their say plane. the cannibal films are still a little bit of a blind spot sure for sure so basically some guys crash their plane and then they're like they there's a cannibalistic tribe and they're held they're getting uh, going to be fed to something so they can fatten up their alligator or whatever it is to eat it so they know they're going to they're basically being kept around to like feed their very right exactly okay. very delicious just like chicken so these guys are being kept around and they escape and when they escape there was like one sympathetic woman uh tribe member that helps them escape mm-hmm. and as they're running away she's sympathetic to their cause but is also kind of torn like i need to go back by my tribe and the way that they basically get her to fully commit to their cause of escape is by raping her Mm -hmm. to assert their dominance and i remember talking to my friends and being like all these movies there's so much like let's find the one sympathetic indigenous tribes member and have the men rape them to show their uh um their dominance and my friend said and again not politically correct at all but he's like that seems very european of the time like that's how you like that's how in these movies this is how we get a point across to these women is we rape them and then they follow us to like on whatever our journey becomes because a lot of these movies that were made um was it live like a cop die like a man is another diodato movie like where this has one of the best titles it's a great all right super great title um they're just bad cops, but yeah. you're supposed to like go along with them. And it's like, it's their machismo and kind of their bravado that makes them irritating assholes when yeah. looking through like current eyes. But back then they would just, Oh, and then they just randomly kiss some girl and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and like grope a girl on the street and you're like, wow, that's cool. And it's like, no, that's not cool whatsoever. No. Um, but again, 
very European of the time yeah, to do things. I, like and that. I guess everything is everything needs to be viewed of a context of of when it was made. Right. Um, and I think that's why you know, the your High Plains Drifter episode is the one we've talked about in the past. Well, and where I felt a little bit like because I, I get what you're saying, but because, it's like, but, but that's the um, movie. going back to that. The reason that it's it's it it bugged me so much is also because it felt very out of character. For yes, his character. I agree. No, one hundred percent. That's why, like, when I was saying that, that was the scene that really bothered me. It was because not only because it happened, but then it's like, well, that's just fucking out of the blue and yes. unnecessary. Right. That's why it bugged. No, and I agree. No, and it make that makes perfect sense. And I think that um, it's almost like that becomes the a real escalating. Uh, measure in cannibal holocaust like i mean yes there's like the the torch like the torching of the village yes i get it the terrorizing of the villagers i get it yes but then when it's like the camera crew and the main producer director of the documentary is like let's rape this uh tribeswoman really gets them to a point where you're like yeah fuck these guys yeah yeah at that point you're like this they just need to get killed off and then like um it's, it's, it's also one of those situations, too, that, like, Yates' girlfriend, like, she gets it worst of all. And it's like, yes. she was, it's like, you're guilty by association, essentially, right. at this point. Right. Um, Which, so, that's another interesting point to this. Mm-hmm. So, Yates makes a lot of points during the filming of the documentary where they're talking about the savageness and the sacredness of virginity with the tribe. And that's why the one woman is uh, mercilessly given the abortion and, like, beaten to death. Yeah. And then when the one has the pole uh, from the rooter to the tutor, as I like to say. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know. Very insensitive. <laughs> it, was their, it was their costume lady. Give it a break. Um, I just hope that's how it's written in the script. Right, right. Get her from the rooter to the tutor. Um, so uh, the, every time they showed a woman, it was supposed to be in response to some kind of sexual act. Because mm-hmm. and Yates says that in his script or in the, his thing, where he's like, "Oh, and then like the the uh, fertility and uh, virginity is very sacred." So then it leads me to believe, and I know this is like me really loosely tying it in. Uh, Alan Yates and the girlfriend end up having sex while the village is burning down, which is completely so preposterous and mm-hmm. weird. Um, but then to me, I was like, "Oh, so when she gets it, because she does get it." particularly worse yeah. than any other person. I'm either like, okay, either this guy is a, either Diodato is such a huge misogynist that he's like, kill all the women the most brutal way possible. Which could be. Which could very well it's be. It's a trend with some of these Italian directors. 100%. Or it could be, oh, was that the tie that the tribes members saw her having sex with him? And maybe that's more of a reach. I tend to think that he's just a misogynist when he. <laughs> that, that's definitely when he did the it. easiest one to right, grasp. Right, right. Because honestly, there's very few of those Italian directors that I that especially because it's always interesting with a lot of these a lot of these Italian movies when they come out because there's usually always an American actress somewhere in there. Yes. And then as Blue Underground's releasing them, and now with uh, you know Synapse or whoever puts them out, they always have an interview with them, and you always get the impression that. The, the actress is a little too nice to explicitly say they're misogynist, but when they start telling the stories, like, yeah. Like, right. There, there's no one out there who won't say Fulci wasn't misogynist. Right, he, right. He was. Right, but yeah. And actually, <laughs> one thing I wanted to talk about with that scene sure. when, they were, when Yates was uh, philosophically waxing about why they mutilated this woman um, with, with the pole, the scene that, like, it just it continues to make them so unlikable is when the when Yates first see it, it's like he's like laughing. And right. And the cameraman's right. like, 
we're rolling. We're rolling. And he's like, like, oh, yeah, sorry. He, like, snaps him. It's almost like an actor. Like, I know. I'm like in character that's... now. And then he starts, like, going. And it's like, oh, you're just – the more, like, the more I see you, one – you're just a terrible person, and then two. Right. I keep thinking as they're because this movie is so goofy because there's no movie that this how much the half of this movie is just people watching dailies. Right. Yeah. No, I know that's also great too. <laughs> half of this movie is just people watching dailies, and I have to say, like, I wrote in my notes that I kind of love the 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 weird details of construction of a scene. It's like when they first start watching the dailies on the on the airplane, and that you have the editor going, "This scene looks like this because their doctor was over too far," right, and I'm right. like, "That's." Just stupid detail to add in that only someone who's as nerdy about movies as right. me or possibly even you sure. would would enjoy. But, but that, that no, but that's even like just for the regular viewer to be like, oh wow, so maybe this is real footage. Yeah, yeah. But then like I I was as I was watching all the footage and you know the editor was like, oh I added music in and everything. This is more just of an assembly. And I was like, there's no way you can cut, cut any of this footage together to make anything tan like right. legible. Right. <laughs> And even though, even so, if he did cut it together, he just made them look like assholes. Like, there was no, like, nothing that, what is this supposed to be? He left in, like, some really weird, like, very open areas where, like, kind of pulling that curtain back again. And I also love, too, that Monroe keeps being like, no, we can't, we can't show this. This is terrible. And, like, intercut with him interviewing the families because, like, they keep telling him, like, no, let's watch the end. Maybe it's redeemable. So he's going to continue doing his job and everything. But then, like... Uh, he keeps saying to them, "It's like this. This is terrible. I don't. Want, no one should be able to see this." And, and they're, they're like, like "Yes, oh, ratings. It's, 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 it's exploitation. It's great." <laughs> right. uh, my, my favorite scene of the movie, maybe not my favorite, but uh, one that I really like is after after they finish watching the film within the film, and it's just somber and quiet. No one says a fucking thing, and I love the dude gets up with the phone and clips the phone. It's like have all this footage burned. burned. Yes. Yeah. I no. I like that too. And I think. That's where I felt like they kind of missed the mark a little bit mm-hmm. in the, like, I appreciate what they said, but it's almost like, just get rid of it. Like the, just, it never existed. When I wish the Monroe character would have stepped up and been like, this is the, like, the world needs to see. But that's, that goes against everything he was He'd say. I, right, I, I right. feel like he could have done something like, like, well, this is the movie you, you guys wanted to release. Right. But it was the, but that's where it turns into like, that's what, when it falls apart. Because if he really wanted to make a statement, Monroe would have said to them something like, listen, enough of this feeding them what you think they want. Show them what really, like, show the people what really happened and stop making, make this a, uh, but it basically, they're just pushing it all underneath the carpet and be like, ah, burn it, get rid of it. But then it also, like, begs the question. And so it's like, you know, Diodato's whole point in this film was like, everything they did on this film was so, um, um, grotesque and terrible, um, that they burned their films theoretically using your own logic should we have burned your film film right absolutely and like that that's what you what you're saying at the beginning where his message well, right no I, no you're right yeah exactly yeah you're 100 percent right mm-hmm. so how what do you you know where do you go with it i think uh i mean there's so many different ways you could go with that ending i thought it would have been also very cool to be like because uh, i was thinking about this as well where if the uh, studio would have been like keep the footage but lock it up yeah. <laughs> like we're keeping like it's never coming out, but we have this because then that also just perpetuates any kind of like uh, legend that might uh, yeah. build up around it. So oh, they have it, but no one can see it. Yeah, right, 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 right. And actually, that could have been an interesting like, or like I feel like not saying someone should go out and do this, but a sequel to Cannibal Holocaust yeah. could be that. Oh, there's footage that no one's ever seen before, locked up at the, at the studio and like trying to get it. It's like right, 
like what would have been yeah important yeah. to get even though they did like there's all those weird italian like in title only sequels that make no sense and it was just movies where there's like a palm tree and mm-hmm. they'll be like yes let's name a cannibal holocaust too and um there's a couple of them out there that are in no way shape or form related to the movie whatsoever but that's Italian horror exploitation cinema. Yeah, to you a just you take it for what like it just it they, is they what are the it kings is. of exploitation. They'll exploit anything. Right, right. And I kind of appreciate the hell out of them for it. Yeah. And it's also kind of sad that there is no really no Italian cinema like uh, right. You know, because they are the kings of ripoffs. Because like, oh fuck, if Jaws is doing big right now, let's make Cruel Jaws. Right. I think. Uh, so will your wife watch this? Um, Possibly. I think she's gonna have a hard time with it. I feel yeah. like if I. She, she, I, she, I feel like she watch it. She, she expressed interest in watching it, but I think she, I'll have a higher chance of watching if we can. If I the, the get the cruelty stuff. free sure. version. What about um? So my thought would be, show her one of the other Diodato films, particularly Barbarians with the Barbarian twin brothers, <laughs> which is really bad, and then make her be like, "This is a shit movie," and then be like, "Well, let me show you." cannibal holocaust now and she can see how he actually can make a good movie with of course without the animal cruelty i think you might get a winner that way yeah that's true it might might work out uh cut and runs great Mm -hmm. like if you have the chance to see that it's a fun movie what was his uh raid of atlantis was that uh, yeah raid of it yeah exactly almost like a mad max Max knockoff that one's that uh, that one's cool i like that that's like a weird amazon prime is it really? Yeah. Amazon Prime it. has got the the weirdest selection of cult and horror. Man, I selections. deep dive and for if I told my I told my wife I would cancel our Netflix subscription because I'm so pleased with the stuff that I can find on Amazon. Prime. I've already canceled. <laughs> have you really? We we have who we have Shutter and we have Amazon Prime. So like, what's the right? What more do you possibly need? Yeah, it's like and there's. And one thing I appreciate about Amazon too, it's like you know, Hulu or Netflix won't put anything out unless it's like a cleaned up, restored thing, right? I've watched things on Amazon. Like this is a VHS. One hundred percent. But it's like there's been movies. They had fade to black on Amazon Prime yeah, for a short know. period of time. It's like you can't get this on disc. Right. Right. I yeah, have which the is kind of shocking and amazing. Like some of those things. Yeah, I have a whole. I'm a huge Bud Spencer and uh, Terrence Hill fan, mm-hmm. and you can pretty much get the whole library of their movies and like Super Fuzz and all that stuff. And I'm like that. Like, that's not really getting... I mean, it's released, but it's, like, just to be able to have it at your fingertips and be able to, like, any given night to throw on one of those movies. But, like, um, I got really big into, uh, like, I don't know what country they were from, but it was there was a point when, like, uh, motorcycle racing on tracks was big. So, um, th- like, really weird movies about, like, guys racing motorcycles. There was a whole subgenre of that that was really weird. Like, so just getting into some, like, bizarre, finding those different no, things. I, I'll get really into, like, those weird little subgenres of things, too. And I was like, oh, there's a whole slew of stuff like this. Sometimes or- I'm more excited to see, like, when it says customers also watch. And I'm like, yes, please show me because I'm going to find what I, well, like, what I need to find. Yeah, so. and it's it's like there's a period of stuntmen films yes. that was really popular, like um, uh, and even and like there or, and there was like this period of evil Knievel films, like yes. evil Knievel. Oh, evil Knievel's I, great. I, I love finding things Stunt like that. Stunt rock to me is like one of my all time favorite. I'm I'm such the type of person that like I've got such a voracious appetite for films that like and even, there's so many new things I still want to see, and like my yeah. watch list will have a bunch of that. But I was like. I was like, why would I watch? I can't even think of a movie right now. Sure. Uh, why would I watch mid '90s that Jonah Hill movie, which I do want to see. Yeah, same here. It's in my. It's like, it's why in my would watch I watch mid '90s 
when Stunt Rock is it's on, on right. Amazon I'm going, Prime. Right, I agree. And it's like it's like there's so much and there and there's so much stuff that's come up that I've never seen or never even heard of that. Sure. Uh, I'm it's I'm so excited. Like, like I feel like we are in the second uh, boom for a home video, where sure. maybe not as much stuff is getting released, but with so many boutique labels out there, right? Weird shits getting out there, right? But then like with, with Amazon Prime is the wild west when it comes to these films. Yes, like I went through Amazon Prime one time and bookmark at least. 20 different Django films. Oh, yeah, right. Because, like, they're right. almost all on there. Right. And, like, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to have a day where I'm going to watch a bunch of Django movies. Right. I did, uh, I went through and was on a kick of doing, like, there's a movie called Van In about, like, custom vans. Cool. <laughs> like, kids doing things with cool custom vans. And then skateboard. And then just, like, I was like, I'm going to find all the weird movies where it's just, like, referring to, like, some kind of mode of operation uh, or uh, transportation. And... Uh, just watch all those, and it's all just like basically knockoffs of like somewhere between um, Animal House and Meatballs. But they're also but they're also great because it's just of the time. And then truck like driver George... movies. Right? Yes, right, for right. A while. Like, yeah, I Breaker, Breaker, White, and White Line Fever. Fever I think yeah, is... White Line Fever is a legitimately good film. Too. Yeah. What's um, What was uh, the other one too? I enjoyed watching recently was Joysticks, like the eighties video game movies. Yes. Where it's like I've they're shutting down the yet. they're shutting down the arcade. It's on Amazon Prime. Okay. So yeah, so there's like that's really great in the theme song, super cool. That the director for that who also did the un- Uninvited, yeah. did another one called Wacko. Yes, and it's like I saw Wacko. Wacko is actually a lot of fun. It's weird. It's just like a cool movie. It's yeah, kind of different. Uh, I just the uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome just put that one out. Okay. Um, but it's like Graydon Clark is one of those directors. Like I don't know if I necessarily like all of your movies, but when your name pops up, so like you're fuck gonna it, I gotta right, hit play. Right. Well, that was it. Well, because I was like, oh, so Joe Don Baker's in this? Okay, oh, I can give this a couple. I can give this a couple. You know, a couple minutes and like there's a character called king vidiot like i'm on that that's why too like all these streaming services um i love the idea of being able to get like a cannibal holocaust or any of like just a lot of these old uh exploitation films that i have on dvd but at this point i have them kind of boxed away Mm -hmm. there's not like i'm not pulling them out it's just nice to be able to find these things and revisit them i'm always it is i'm always looking and i think that when it comes to these kind of movies again like cannibal movies or whatnot i didn't see cannibal holocaust again till i was like early 20s and i didn't see i so i knew make them die slowly existed but didn't know it as cannibal ferox until my mid-20s so i was able to go to movie conventions comic conventions and the guy selling the bootleg vhs tapes they're still there and the first three movies that i got were el topo cannibal holocaust and della morte della more um, that last one I've still not seen. Really? So it's great. I mean, Cemetery Man, it's fantastic. But that was one of those where I'm like, what's crazy? And they're like, this is crazy. I'm like, what else? It's, and then that just kind of hooked me on the getting those and going to conventions the, just to get In the DVD days, because like, that's when I saw – like I, I when I was young, VHS was still around. But I didn't start getting into the weird stuff until DVD was around. But there's so many low-budget DVD companies out sure. there as well putting stuff out. Like there's things that I had seen under alternate title. Like I didn't. I, I it wasn't until I bought the Grindhouse releasing edition of the Beyond oh, that sure. I saw the Beyond as the Beyond. I had it on uh, Shitty Doors DVD. Of Death. Seven Doors of Death. Yeah, that's how I had it. Right. Um, and like, or the first time I saw the house by the cemetery, it's like it was pieced together with three different prints of it. Yes. So it would cut from close up of Bob to a close up of something else, and the color of the print completely changed. Sure. And right. 
I know it's I it just it was so weird to be able to get those things and see them, and I think that's why these movies do tend to hold a little bit of a place in my heart, just because of the way they've existed in in my life mm-hmm. and where they've uh, like how I've discovered them or how I've seen them. And um, as one of those people in the old days that was like, "You think that's crazy? Let me show you crazy." These definitely filled that spot, but then through time as you mature get older and you look at things with different glasses you start to realize like which ones were actually good because mm-hmm. i do think i would probably watch cannibal holocaust over any of the other ones yeah and i will say there's like uh i've mentioned a couple times throughout this finding the for lack of a term the pretentious and the non-pretentious uh that's sometimes the fun for me watching something that's at upon first look is like this is gonna be a bad movie yeah but then you're like oh there was some interesting lighting choices there was like uh, the way they composed this scene, just the like, that's what makes the fun for me. It's like, if I can find something like I, I, I have a saying on this podcast that there's one good scene in a movie. It wasn't a waste of my time. Sure. Right. And I'm always looking for that. I'm always looking for like the unintentional genius in mm-hmm. something or it, even with performances like, um, like I, I've told Amanda, bef- my wife before in the past that it's like, there's a difference between, a, a good actor phoning it in or a bad performance like say if i just cast a friend of mine in a movie and he doesn't know like or uh, uh he doesn't know how to act that's just going to be a bad performance right but there's something to say about a bad actor trying to do a good performance sure yeah because once again it's so earnest where there's like here's a guy who knows what goes into a good performance he knows how to how to build a character he knows how to do all this stuff he's just not very good at it but he's trying right and it's like that's where it's like you get that kind of like this is either the best performance in the world or the worst right and i like, agree that's kind of like that eric freeman uh um silent night deadly night 2 yes. kind of caliber right right no and that, that makes perfect sense yeah i really um yeah i just i think people need to look at this movie and look at it as just independent of what you've heard or the uh, sensationalism of it and just look at it for what it is and if you have a chance to watch it and you are like the animal stuff is bad for you watch it without that it doesn't add or take anything no you know I, away from i the can feature. i can i can argue that they thought it added something to the film i don't personally I, I the the most interesting stuff has nothing to do with any of i that. agree right. hell you could probably even make you could probably even cut this film even further down and remove majority of the violence and i feel still the more interesting things are still going to be there i guess if my hope is for anything is like i 100 percent respect if people don't want to see this film but i'm hoping that if there was someone out there that was really on the fence about it or even leaning towards not it not seeing it this episode has convinced them that maybe i should go check it out right at the same time i don't expect you to like it right don't come to me if you don't like that film right but I think there's more. We if if we've been talking about this movie for nearly two hours, Jesus, there's obviously something going on. Right, there's right. been denser movies for this for this podcast that we haven't talked nearly as much about. Uh, we've turned into the Fright Night documentary. Where we've done the the making of is longer than the actual movie itself. Yeah, <laughs> or like before I went to film school and I made a film in in in, in high school and my credits were probably the length of the runtime. Right, right. Just to get it all in. Yeah, I definitely um, I agree, and I don't think that it is a. Um, you know, it, it's not a condemnation to enjoy this movie or like it. Yeah, for I don't what think you're supposed is. to enjoy it. You're not supposed to enjoy right. watching. Right. Movie. It's an uncomfortable movie, 
with a statement, but the statement's definitely buried in its own sensationalism, which it's trying yeah. to speak but out against. It's it's I, I don't I don't I don't want to make it sound like I'm comparing the two films, but the best way I can describe it is people on their on a bored Saturday night be like, don't don't usually be like, you know, let's go watch Schindler's List. Right. You, there's movies you don't there's movies you don't put on for right. fun for sensationalism, right. and I think this kind of falls into that category. Right. No, I think you're you're perfectly right, and but I think it's a movie that. If you like movies and you're like, well, what is all the stink about? This is a movie that you should probably see, mm-hmm. like just because it's whether you like it or not. The, and the, the last thing I'll say sure. before we wrap up is with uh, once again with our with good old Robert Kerman. Yeah. Uh, in that interview, he actually talks about it's because that interview is weird because you can't tell if he's defending the film or shitting on it. It's right. Kind of, he rides that line quite a bit. He's like Robert Kerman's like. He's like, the thing about that film, though, if you remove the animal violence, he's like, the actual like gore on screen, he's like, I went to go see Saving Private Ryan. It was 10 times worse than anything we did. Right. And I was like, fair point. Yeah. Fair point. I agree. It's like, what's the difference between Cannibal Holocaust and uh, Schindler's List? Well, let me ask you a better question. What's the difference between the first scene of Saving Private Ryan, which is probably the goriest f- footage I've ever seen of anything? made kind of a holocaust look like you know lunch on the set i mean it was the first 20 minutes of 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 saving private ryan would was you could vomit your brains out heads were blowing up it was but you had the feeling it wasn't exploitation it was meant to be a depiction of of really how horrible something is and this film didn't have what this film uh, yeah, Ruggiero here says that he, he he had some political reasons for making this film. The Red Guard, the the Red Guard were were, were significant political factor in Italy, and here he thought that the press was going to make up something. And I I, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I, I truly don't. And then I, all I see is. Um, a clever story, which I think the Blair Witch Project stole and did it better because they made more money on it. They didn't, they didn't invest it with such gore. They invested it with more horror. And that's why they were more successful with the same thing. I agree. So if you've seen Saving Private Ryan and you could stomach that, you could probably, you could probably handle Cannibal Holocaust. I agree. No, that's great. Thank you for having me, by the way. No, thank you for coming out. As always, guys, you can find us online. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Libsyn, wherever. Uh, You can find the the podcast on Instagram at at Shameless Picture Show, and I'm at Michael underscore Vyers. Jay, do you want to pitch – you want to tell them about your podcast and Mondalucha a little bit before you head out? Uh, You know what? I'll – we do a wrestling podcast about the history of uh, wrestling – um, try to talk about some very interesting facets of it, interesting characters. Uh, not your normal uh, things, nothing newer than like 1990 we try to shoot for. It's called uh, Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire. I know we're available on Apple Music on their podcast service. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else. I'm not very technically savvy. They just tell me it's where uh, wherever you curate your podcast, you should be able to get it. Um, but uh, we have a good time with it. It's fun. Uh, lots of stories. 
uh, Derek St. Holmes, my, my partner in crime, uh, is very educational and uh, has lots of great stories and has been around the business for well over 20 years. So He's also got a very soothing voice. He has a very soothing voice. I agree. Uh, if you're looking to jump in, we always joke around and say the Wrestling um, Bears episode is the best one to jump in on. But uh, that's where we really feel like we hit our stride. Um, other than that, uh, Mondo Lucha... I don't know. It's sold out. So what do you, yeah. <laughs> what so do you if want? You, if you had any interest in Mondowitch and you don't have a ticket, sucks to be you. I don't even all have right. a ticket. You don't? No. Uh-oh. No, I'm on the spot. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, all yes. right. No, no. That'd be great to, great to have you. So you know you're welcome. Um, but uh, uh, on a quick side too, before we go, um, Mondo Lucha, the name in and of itself, Mondo in one definition is world and Lucha is fighting. Uh, so we've always said uh, world fighting, so to speak, create our own world. Um, I drew the name Mondo personally from uh, my love of the Mondo, like just the Mondo films, all like Mondo Kane, all that, the weirdness, uh, watching those movies where it was a variety of different things going on. So we always thought, uh, my business partner Andy and I, uh, coming up with the name, it was always very much like uh, we just want to be weird and out there and different. And to me, that's where it that comes from for us mondo it's like okay remember all those mondo movies we used to watch perfect nobody's using it in wrestling great that's true i don't think let's anyone go else for is using it. it and that's that so like so we're able to we take it and move on from and, there. and thinking about it uh i'd like to have you on in the future sometime but i need to do some research for this one i've been looking and i feel like you might you or derek might be the only two that might have any knowledge about this sure. i've been wanting to do an episode on the lucha films they're not sure, yeah. they're not easy to find i have a bunch yeah uh they're, and not all of them are really great either i can they, i can point you in the direction of a couple I, real they're, great they're ones. pretty iconic so i'd like to do yeah. an episode on that sometime in the future but, yeah uh, but that's another one too where i think the legend is greater than the actual exactly. what, what you're looking at exactly so uh, thanks for coming out Jack. no thank you appreciate it